Bard's Backlog, episode number 44. I am your host, Josh Gagos, joined by the mercenary, Jared Benson, who has been uh, busy, busy over there in Connecticut. I know it's been, um, I guess, it's been the holiday time. So how was your Thanksgiving, Jared, this last week? It was lovely. Um, This has been the first time I've been back um, living in Connecticut for several years now. Thanksgiving when I was in college was always down in college, no chance to leave there um, just because there wasn't much of a Thanksgiving break, as you know. And um, so just Thursday, it's been <laughs> really, that's it, really. And uh, so the the school doesn't put a ton of emphasis on Thanksgiving break. It's, you know, we have festivities here. We do Turkey Bowl, which I always appreciated how big they went, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and when we were in college. So um, so it was great. It was great. It was great. And I you know, you have to kind of push your parents to make them, um, to force them to let you be generous. I said, Mom, you you cannot wait until the last minute. I need you to tell me what you want me to cook for this day. Let me do some things so that the load doesn't fall all on you and my sister and my dad. Like, let me help here. What can I make? What can I do? And so, of course, you know, that's that's a lot of fun and but you have to kind of like twist their arm a little bit. It's like, listen, I'm I'm 27. I'm old. I can help a little bit, you know. So, so what but did it was you great. cook, Jared? I'm curious. Uh just a couple of uh, you know, th- uh broccoli casserole, carrot souffle. I did a pumpkin pie. Uh Ooh. Lucy did a blueberry pie. Um, you know, just a couple of things. And so we had a spread and then we had people over the day after for game night, which is my my parents Friday night routine is to have a bunch of people over and do game night, typically one or two weekends a a month. And so, you know, leftovers, 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 and they're still eating leftovers over there. So nice. um, Yeah, it's good. I'm going to go over there later this evening, have more leftovers and watch the Sunday night football. So it's a good time. It's been back. I have had less time for gaming because of all this family time, which is a blessing and a curse. You know, I, I was making a comment to Lucy the other night I was like, I love this podcast. I love doing it with Josh. It's a great time for us. So I look forward to it. But I haven't been as good at, you know, playing the games that we're playing. But sure. Thanksgiving was great. Sorry for the long-winded answer. How was yours, sir? Oh, it was good as well. I didn't have as uh, many things going on. I mean, it was just me and Karina for this Thanksgiving, which we had in 2020 as well. So it was kind of going back to that. Last year we we left because now they do it where they give you Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. But it was just such a quick trip and was really a pain, like having to get like a cat sitter and everything. And now with the baby, we were yeah. just like, you know what? We're yeah. just going to stay here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So we just made our own meal. It was a nice little spread. We're still eating some of those leftovers as well. But really chill. I mean, basically the last four days, because I was busy, busy, busy up until fine arts the week before Thanksgiving, so um, a weekish, a week and a half ish ago now. Um, just and how like did that insanely go? Insanely busy. Oh, it went very well. Seems like there's a really good reception. So I'm glad it's over. <laughs> but it was really fun. I was glad to be a part of it as well. Um, very different being a older person <laughs> being involved sure. in those. Yeah, it's just I a bet. totally different. We we had the like reception line after where people could come and shake our hands. And I and um, Avery Gardner, who are both now faculty, 
just kept getting skipped. <laughs> like, it just like people didn't know us as well, unless they were like Avery students, they didn't know him. Um, and same for me, like I'm a middle school. So like all the kids, all the college students didn't know me. Um, and all the kids that did come, like the staff kids that were my students who were there, like totally were different at the play than they are at school. It was just so funny because they're in junior high. Like they just like, they see their teacher outside of his element and it's like, Oh, like, I don't know how to approach. Like, even though it's the exact same person. And then they see me the next day and they're like, Mr. Guy was, it was so great. And like totally normal and talking to me. Um, so it was just funny noting, noting that, but also just like people didn't know who I was. And so just a lot of like, I don't know, it was totally different. Cause when I was doing these in college, everyone knew me on some level, you know, so they'd all be like willing to talk to me and chatting with me. And it's just not the same anymore, (laughs) but I didn't do it for that. I did it for myself and for God. So actually I got the best compliment I could have gotten. And as far as I'm concerned, it was the only compliment I needed. And that was from Dr. Monk. So that's all I needed to hear. Like everybody else could have ignored me and talked to everybody else around me. As long as Dr. Monk approved and gave me a nice compliment, I was happy. (laughs) What did Dr. Monk say? So she told me that I have now set the bar for that character in the play. As far as PCC is concerned. Which is a huge thing coming from her. She told me that when I played Dromeo in Comedy of Errors, she was like, you did it with Dromeo, you somehow did it with Lysander, like, I am very proud of you. So, like, she just, I didn't need to hear anything else, like, not even from my wife, like, as long as I heard it from Dr. Monk, I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so, and my wife also very much approved, but she had to get over some of the, um, like, romantic stuff that was going on in the play. But anyway, it went well, it was good, but it was a ton of work, and... Then after that, we had Thanksgiving break. Like, literally, Monday and Tuesday of last week were still school days. I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I had I had zero preparation. My mind was so dead. I was so spent after fine arts um, that those days kind of just happened. <laughs> I don't really know what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I needed the break. And Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I just did absolutely nothing. Saturday, too, actually. I just chilled. I played God of War. We watched uh, several movies. I had never seen Die Hard, so, like, we watched that. And um, (laughs) we went and played games on Friday night with some friends. But otherwise, I just locked the front door. I ate a bunch of bad food. I ate Thanksgiving food. And I just played video games. It was glorious. So, glorious. exactly the Thanksgiving that I needed. (laughs) well Uh, there you go so worked out anyway uh this is of course the hall of games let's jump into uh what the topic of the show is which is the ever-growing catalog of legendary game titles that have proven to be timeless classics each title is chosen from the bard's backlog and broken down through comprehensive evaluation via the bard himself and his uh, co-host i was gonna say candidate that's not right unless you want to be a candidate for the hall of games jared i think you would pretty much very quickly get removed because you have no gamey elements uh but uh we could throw you on there anyway no my co-host the the mercenary the casual uh we're the ones that do that evaluation of course you can listen to that conversation here we are the keepers the skeptic critics and the executioners of those not deemed worthy and today's candidate is god of war ragnarok so will it be entered into the hall well 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 you may be surprised at the answer i'm excited to have this conversation if you are sensitive to spoilers beware we are very spoiler heavy in this podcast we do not hold back if something pops up 
into our mind about something that happened, we jump right into it. So keep that in mind. Um, you can email us at askegb at gmail.com to comment, ask a question, or generally challenge and scorn us. Although few have taken us up on that thus far, even though we had a bit of a trend over the fall, a lot of people listening for some reason, <laughs> um, but not very many writing in. So if you are interested in that, please do. That is askvgb at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you can support us by following us on any podcast service, dropping a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Normally, they have uh, set up, if you have notifications set up, that'll tell you when the new episode pops in. And that would be great for ours, especially because it is sporadic. It's not every week. So something else to keep in mind. Last time we talked about Horizon Forbidden West, that episode I still need to publish, but a very good, detailed, I loved the structure that Jared gave to it. Jared, of course, hosting that episode. Really fun one, um, so look forward to that. And before we get into this, just a quick question here, Jared. Game Awards are right around the corner, and I gotta know your Game of the Year predictions for this 2022 set of nominees. So what's beautiful and heinous about the the game awards is that it has to take place before the full year is complete so just like the golden joystick awards um we which took place a couple weeks ago elden ring of course winning four awards uh uh, final fantasy won an award pokemon arcaeus legends won some and then zelda uh, Zelda Terror of the what I don't remember what it was one. So the the Golden Joystick Awards excluded God of War Ragnarok from their lineup, and so Elden Ring won the Ultimate Game of the Year award, which is great. Um, however, the Game of the Year awards at the Game Awards includes God of War Ragnarok, despite its ridiculously recent release. I mean, just a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. um, was it given to us, and of course, um, Josh and I have been. Uh, enjoying rushing through that with all the the thrill of that comes with playing those games my prediction is that to be frank with you i actually think god of war ragnarok will win game of the year um i also think it'll win best narrative direction and i think uh that um what's his name uh christopher judge will win the voice of Mm -hmm. kratos will win the voice actor Um, okay and those are the three awards that i think they're they're gonna win however as we've talked about, I I think the game of the year should go to Elden Ring. Um, I said that before it won the Golden Joystick yeah. Awards. I don't know that in the sense of like justice or fairness that it should at this point because it's won the Golden Joystick Awards. I I would be content if it did not. But I do feel like there's a lot of recency bias and there's a lot of um, um, yeah, well, those are my predictions. But okay. if we want to have a full on hash it out battle over who we think should should win then i would say elden ring and i don't care who else (laughs) yeah well i think predictions is who we think will win and then i we could also throw in who we want to win so you're saying even though you want elden ring god of war you think is going to be what actually wins and i think that's partially because of the the fan base like for instance um i've been on twitter a lot um especially since elon's takeover and I've really found that the God of War fans are much more rabid than the Elden Ring fans. They have much more of a presence, and since uh, voting is open to the public and God of War was not initiated in the Golden Joystick Awards, I think the fans are going to be hyper-excited to win uh, the Game the game Awards. But it could be that the Elden Ring fan base is larger and maybe quieter, you know, and so it's deceptively large. I don't know. 
I, I do sure. know that YouTube has powered a lot of Elden Ring success. So there certainly is a chance. It's tight. It's definitely those two. I don't, as much as people like um, Xenoblade Chronicles 3, Stray, uh, Horizon Forbidden West, as well as uh, Plague Tale Requiem, I don't think anyone actually thinks those four have a chance of winning. Um, right. For the most part. Uh, so it's between the two mega titans, uh, our, our, our AAA role-playing RPGs. So uh, I, I don't know. But yeah, I, I think it will probably have to be, well, I don't know. It's just hard to say. What do you think? What do you think? So my holdup here is the definition of the category. So if you look at the game of the year category for the Game Awards, it says recognizing a game that delivers the absolute best experience across all creative and technical fields. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I feel like technically... So that that's the thing. Those two those two adjectives at the end there. The technical fields, I think God of War gets it in its uh, just choreographed story and it's obviously attention to detail and the graphics and everything. Um, it's jaw dropping moments. But in the creative category, I mean, you could throw God of War in there, but I think Elden Ring Hardcore takes the cake at that point. Um, and it's just like, oh, like which side are they going to actually air on? My prediction. So originally, before playing Ragnarok, I thought Ragnarok was for sure going to take it. My prediction, though, is that it's going to be an upset and Elden Ring is going to take it. Um, as far as game of the year, the that particular award is concerned. I think Ragnarok's going to beat them in other fields. Um, you mentioned performance-wise. Honestly, I think Soljic should get the reward there. Um, even though I love Christopher Judge, I feel like the way that Atreus's character was uh, performed was just, I think, perfect for what they needed for the role for the game. Um, so I personally was very impressed with him. But either way, one of them's going to win. And then as far as best narrative con- is concerned, God of War is going to win hands down. Um, and then there's some of these other ones, like game direction and stuff, where it's just kind of up in the air. I feel like Ragnarok's going to cinch a lot of those. But then the final game of the year, Elden Ring's going to get so that's just my thought on that i don't even know why stray is in there (laughs) and i don't like a plague tale also is kind of like oh like okay people really liked it for the story but like goatee category like really i don't know um horizon is there as like i don't know at this point it's the totem for okay horizon is so good but these two other games are just a little bit better (laughs) like it just gives you that totem of like that's how good these games were this year. Um, yeah. And then Xenoblade, I've not played, so I have nothing to say about it. But um, yeah, yeah, I think it'll still be Elden Ring at the end of the day, even though God of War does have its 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 fan group and it's it's a lot more recent. My I thought think, is, though, it ends up going the other way. It's kind of going to be an upset. So we, so, okay, but who do you think should win, I guess? I, 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 was, I think, in my personal opinion, also Elden Ring should win. Oh, okay. Um, All right, gotcha. But I also think it will win just because of, I think when people finish Ragnarok, especially, they're going to look back and think about the entire experience, and I think Elden Ring still has that staying power. I I truly do. So I, if if you're willing to put some time onto it, uh, just a couple minutes, I would really love to dig into why I believe that about about Elden Ring and about God let's, of War Ragnarok? Let's hear it. No, I'm down. Okay. Give me some more of your conjecture. I love it. It's a Sunday afternoon. We have time. I love these conversations. I, yes. I really <laughs> think that it comes down to 
you're so right. And this is something I was going to say earlier, but I'm glad that you defined it by the, the standards of the award, which is the creative and technical side of things. I don't know that you could say, what makes you say that God of War Ragnarok is, is more technical, technically uh, masterful than Elden Ring? Um, I think in just the uh, the way that it all works together, it's very grounded, and it needs to be, and the the flow of combat and everything is just exactly what you need. I think the the technical side of performance as well plays a factor into it. Although I don't think I had too many issues with Elden Ring on PS5 um, with slowdown. For the most part, it ran pretty good, pretty well, um, and I think it's just like. When it comes to technicality, like Eldering is built off of old Dark Souls ideas at this point. And because of that, then they've they've sped up the combat. It's a lot more smooth and interesting. Uh, but because of that, God of War just being newer has a little bit more of a flow and a finesse to it in its design that I think it's going to take it. Plus, I think it's... You can't say that Elden Ring is better in the graphics category, so I think you just can't say that. Like, Even if you really wanted to sit down and try to compare them, I think Elden Ring has a lot of beautiful picture-esque like, sights and stuff like that. But when it comes down to like facial animation, when it comes down to that cinematic quality, God of War has it hands down. Like there's, I mean, the dude's beard flaps in the wind. Like you can't, like that doesn't happen in Elden Ring, you know? Mm. Like mm. there's like the attention to detail, I'd say, is where the technical side of things goes to Ragnarok. Okay. All right. In that sense, because of the cinematic style of it, yes. Um, I, I would probably have to agree with you and give the edge to God of War Ragnarok, though it is not without its flaws. It it, for sure the game uh glitched on me in many hilarious ways throughout my playthrough um it to be frank it, sur- it surprised me how many times that happened um it was you know it may not seem like a lot but five or six noticeable times in which things were off uh interesting and, and glitched or whatever and i could show you some of them like uh, atreus glitching in the sled and it just flicking all over the place um different things like that um a a wall being unbroken and i was still able to pass through it because you get the spear later on in the game and you can blow up walls well i was able to walk just right through a wall one time it was kind of odd so here things here and there and i almost wonder if you know where that comes from i don't know if you can ignore that stuff oh it's just part of the gaming as a whole i just don't remember those that stuff in elden ring um yeah well, I was so, going to say, I don't think I caught very many, if at all, in God of War. There was one time in Muspelheim where it slowed down for a little bit, but it was like a second and then it was over. Otherwise, I hadn't observed anything personally, but I mean, that's totally something that could have happened. And I know things like that happen in Elden Ring too, but same thing. It didn't happen to me too often. I seem yeah. to do pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so the... But the creative side of things, as much as, because there's a big, there's, they're almost incomparable. As a narrative plot, Elden Ring is, it's really not as grand. Uh, it's not as big, despite the world being bigger. It's not as great because you're you contain all of the universe essentially within nine realms, and then you disrupt that on a massive scale. So, like story wise, mm-hmm. it's not as big. 
Um, but it's bigger in other ways, like the awe you felt when you faced Radon for the first time, and uh, the 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 emotions of the frustrations of the difficulty of you know playing Millennia is like fighting you know Sigra and, and God of War on I want God of War <laughs> mode, you know. So th- yeah. there's there's levels of frustration and difficulty, and then you know d- I I would say that Elden Ring, however due to its vagueness and its background and its work with George R. R. Martin and, and what have you, there's story-wise, there's much more depth. Well, I don't even know if I could say that because I, I would give the award to God of War Ragnarok. But there's, there's a difference in the, the stories and how they compare and um, the, different, the six different endings you know, versus the single ending and... Um, and two, it's completely invented and brand new, as opposed to God of War being able to cherry pick from you know stories and experiences from an already existing um, plotline, which is the you know Celtic or uh, the Nordic gods and their their the way they do things. Um, I would also say that there's an edge given to Elden Ring in terms of community um, because of the YouTube things. I mean, Vasi Vidya. Sure just released a video uh, a couple, I want to say six days ago or so. I could be wrong. It's got 1.6 million views. Um, and there's, you know, all kinds of content creators have cut their teeth and become a thing because of Elden Ring. And, and mm-hmm. you know, diff- the depth of the game and the character designs and the models and the lore and all this different stuff, as, w- as well as how much time spent playing, the replayability. Um, it's just, did it do enough to conquer what is considered a, a largely appealing mainstream um, game, which is God of War Ragnarok. And I did you think that um, Elden Ring built on its foundations better than God of War Ragnarok built on its foundations? That's a big question as well. What do you think? Um, by foundations, do you mean like the titles that came before it? Or are you yes, talking about the yes. lore? Because yes. I think... You know, God of War is kind of cheating with the lore because <laughs> it's all just Norse mythology, which has been around for a thousand plus years at this point, you know, um, so kind of cheating. And then as far as like building on what came before, I think Elden Ring definitely gets the credit there. I think Ragnarok did what it needed to. Like, that's my thing and playing through it as well. The, uh, my my inclination towards it, and we'll we'll talk about this too when we actually get to the <laughs> pick of the week. Uh, but <clears throat> my inclination towards it at first was like, oh, it's it's continuing what God of War twenty eighteen did. Like it's it doesn't feel like a major bombastic sequel so much as the second half of yeah yeah part two what really. came before. Yeah. But there's still a lot that they did to improve the combat. They, there's a lot that they did to improve the way that the world layout works. And it's still not perfect. But I think that they answered some of the ills that were there in the first game. And then delivered on what's most important, which is nigh flawless combat. Um, and a really banger story at the same time. So it's tough for me to say that they didn't improve on it, but Elden Ring definitely did more. I mean, even just going open world, that one thing changed so much, you know, and they went for it and they were ambitious about it. And because of that, it paid off. So 
I think it definitely builds on what came before in a much better way. But I don't know if Ragnarok wanted to do that or if it should have done that. Like, I don't know how that would have played out if it really tried to do something crazy different. I just don't know if that would have worked yeah. for them. So. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, um, in terms of... In terms of voting and building a community and the number of fans, Elden Ring has had a long time to build that. It's had the whole year, really. And God of War Ragnarok has only had the past three weeks, although it has been highly anticipated and so far has lived up to the hype. Um, and the hype was surrounding the story and it's lived up to that. I, ha- I've, I haven't really met any disappointed... Oh, well, I haven't met either. I haven't met disappointed Elden Ring fans, and I haven't met disappointed Ragnarok fans. So yeah. I've heard yeah. I've heard from both camps bashing on the other, but I haven't uh, I haven't seen any um, um, disappointment in terms of of really anything with both games. But the question so. is, what are you, Jared? Are you disappointed? But I want to save that for when we actually get to it. You got <laughs> so, it. You got it. Um, all right, Goaty predictions. I mean, we'll see what happens. We'll, it's all up in the air. I mean, Plague Twelve recommend might come in and <laughs> take the the whole yeah. thing. Although if that happens, I am breaking my computer, just snapping it in <laughs> half. That, that should not happen. Um, but let's jump into our first major segment, which is the games we play in. too much i've been focused on ragnarok and really giving it giving it its time i've been playing a lot of the side quests and stuff honestly i'm having so much fun with it i went back i have dark souls remastered on this list i was playing that before ragnarok i went back when i rolled credits and i was playing it just a little bit and i'm like oh man it's crazy but i'm really missing the fluidity of the combat in ragnarok and so i went back to it and was just really enjoying going around and doing some of the like um what are they, like Hellwalker sites or the champion sites and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, really challenging myself. That's been just stand out to me. So I've been playing most of like, most of my playtime has been going towards Ragnarok. Um, remastered is in there. Dark souls is, is in there just a few, probably a total of an hour that I've played outside of Ragnarok. And then dying light two is going to be my next thing. My next big one. I started it. I got it like three weeks ago and i started it then and i played a good amount probably three to four to five hours and dropped it because of forbidden west and ragnarok trying to finish those up and dying light 2 is just it's 
comfort food for me. I love it so much. It's a mm. really pretty zombie game, so I'm looking forward to uh, playing through and like really enjoying the open world aspects of it because I didn't quite get there. You kind of have to travel to the city itself and break in, and it teaches you all the combat and everything, which they have a lot of fun little additions to combat in it. But really great, great game. I loved the first one. That's honestly like one of those sleeper hit games in my yeah. life that i tell yeah. people about and they're like oh what i never heard of this and then they play it and they're like holy crap this is amazing um so i'm i'm excited to finish it out now that i have a little bit more time thanks to being done with ragnarok but we'll see i also keep being drawn back into it because <laughs> i want to get more things uh improve yeah. my skills and everything like that so yeah for sure uh, what have me- you been playing my friend yeah, so just a little bit here and there. It is the holiday season. That's why I have this one category all laid out here. But um, the game that I've been playing and working through slowly uh, is Dark Souls 2. Um, yes. I really I got back into it, and as far as I can tell, it doesn't seem to be much different from Dark Souls Remastered. Uh, I, I have in Dark Souls 3, although Dark Souls 3 felt a little faster. Like They've increased in speed over the years, yes. I feel like. Um, so Dark Souls 2 really doesn't, so, so far I have not been able to tell why people hate it or love it because at, I, I have actually seen on YouTube a couple of a creators say, I don't know why people hate Dark Souls 2. I love it. So it's like, so we'll see. I, you know, there's obviously a lot of controversy surrounding that game. It's notorious in the uh, Dark Souls community for being the, the black sheep of the family. So we'll see. Um, and then because it's the holiday season, I've been playing Skyrim with my sister, Mario Rabbids with my brother, Super Mario Party with my family, and Mario Party Superstars with my friends. It's been great. Yes. It's the holiday season. It's the time to get back in these nostalgic games games into these uh, party games especially and and sitting right behind me to my right is i have to spoil this my family doesn't listen to this podcast as far as i know they haven't told me that they do so i bought my brothers or my my family's household a uh uh oculus 2 the latest meta wow yes i'm very excited um i had a bunch of best buy store credit so i went over there and grabbed it for black friday and i'm very excited to give that to them if they if we get this out and they listen that's on them spoiler alert they should know better but um but that's what they're (laughs) getting for christmas i'm very excited obviously beat saber is built in and i I think there's something i think resident evil 4 is built in there as well um But I'm just excited. That'll be a lot of fun. That'll add depth and layer to their their household activities and their weekend stuff. Having friends come down and play the Oculus and play Beat Saber and play horror games. It'll be a lot, a lot of fun. So I'm really looking forward to giving that to them. So yeah. So what that's the games gift. I'm playing. I know it. I know. I'm excited. Is is this Sparks of Hope Rabbids or is this the original? The original because I don't have okay. Sparks of Hope. I was getting my younger brother Derek into Mario Rabbids and we played co-op because that's one of the things about Mario Rabbids is that um, yeah. is the co-op and that's something I wish that it, maybe even you and I had played together. I don't think we did. Maybe we did once or twice, but um, Mario Rabbids has a full-on co-op mode that goes you know easy, normal, hard, and you can you know play through puzzles like that. You have to beat the baddies, and so he and I have been playing that. You know, we might even play that. I'm going to take my Switch over there. We'll play that a little later tonight. So that's been a lot of fun. I forgot how fun that game was, and I can't wait to get Sparks of Hope. It's on my Christmas list. So Yeah, I have Sparks of Hope, too. I haven't had the chance to play it. <laughs> uh, so Dying Light 2 has kind of been my next thing, but I, I really probably should throw Rabbids in there and try to get some, some more play into it because it was fun from what I started playing. Um, but my other question was, in Dark Souls 2, are you using a guide for it? 
Um, and if not, where have you found yourself thus far? Like, what area are you in? Yeah, I have not been using a guide. I I I know it was recommended. And I think you told me that as well. But I'd I'd like to go in blind. We'll just see what happens, and we'll kind of see. Sure. Because I like the the cool thing about Dark Souls is that you know once you get to Firelink Shrine in the original Dark Souls. You go to your left, you die immediately. You go to your right, mm-hmm. you die, but less aggressively. And so you're like, okay, I got to go right. So I like pushing on walls, walls of enemies and resistance and seeing how hard they push back for my level. Mm-hmm. So I got to this main area. I don't actually remember the name of it. Um, it's got the fire link sh- lady um, or, or whatever. She's standing off to, on the ocean side of things. Um, and then there's uh, a, a dragon slayer who there's like a bunch of knights in a row, just one after the other um, along this path. Uh, and I haven't been able to beat that area either. Um, so I've been just kind of wandering around seeing which direction I should go, but that's really the the two. Obviously I did the forest and everything, but um, yeah. So that's, the, so, he, so Majula is the, is the um, like hub area, which is where you find the fire yes. link shrine girl. And then if you go, you said there's some giant boys, like, big night and a guys. dragon and a dragon yeah so that way is probably not the way to start you should probably go towards the forest of the fallen giants which is um if you go near the fire i think you have to go down a path there's like a path through a couple of pillars um that's really the best way to start uh you'll throw yourself at those big night boys and the dragon for a while and you could probably get through it it's still an early game area but it definitely is not conducive to like really base skill set like your base amount of skills that you have thus far so well i can't just figure a suggestion out how to, there i can't figure out how to level up so you can't yeah so if you talk to the firelink chick uh i don't know how often you've talked to her but eventually she'll open it up and you can start to use your souls with oh. her like you well. like you can in um dark souls 3 i guess so well, might need to talk to her longer. I don't know if that's part of the problem. Like if she's offered that yet, you also, I think need to die. Although you probably, if you've been facing off against the Knights, you probably have several um, times <laughs> and also be careful because you lose your health. Um, every time that you die, a portion of it gets taken away from you permanently. Yeah. I saw you, that. Yeah. That's the part of the game that really grinds people's gears. Cause you start to get to a place where, you know, like one hit will take off half your health, but you only have half your health bar <laughs> because you've died so many times. It takes it, it chips away at it. So, um, yeah. which is where the brutalist side of dark souls two comes in. But if you use burning effigies, that'll help you kind of balance things out. Anyway, there's, there's a lot of strategy to it. So, um, I know for me, I, I enjoyed the game a lot more when I when I understood some of the little strategy nuance behind what was going on, as opposed yeah. to just running around blind, because that was, it worked, but it was a little more frustrating the further along you got. And it's also not a very well laid out world compared to 1. It has a little bit more interconnectivity than Dark Souls 3 does, but it seems very random in the directions that it sends you sometimes. Um, Mm. like there's a whole joke in dark souls 2 you go all the way to this like poison temple and you go all the way to the top of the poison temple you kill the boss there and then you jump on a elevator that takes you up and it's supposed to be in the temple so you're expecting it to go like up in the tower to like some higher area in the tower and it takes you to a totally different land that looks like it's below the poison temple and is on flat surface it's just super bizarre and then it's like this big fire area but anyway 
the layout of it's super confusing. So just another thought put out there okay. for you. But nonetheless, I'm excited to hear how that progresses for you. I'm excited that you're able to play so many games with so many people. That is awesome. Love hearing that. But let's talk about our default segment. question here is one that perhaps we don't have the answer to but certainly food for thought nonetheless is video gaming simply a weaker storytelling format what do you think jared i think that uh games definitely get a lot of flack for their stories um i think there's some really great gaming stories but there's always been a question too of translating those like taking those and and making it into a tv adaptation whether that's live action or cartoon or otherwise um or taking that and making it into a movie adaptation of course books have been written about video games um or have like extended on the stories that were being told in those video games so it can work going one direction or the other and of course there are games that are made off of books so it kind of there's some transition between them but when it comes down to the actual inherent format itself of playing a game engaging with it with a controller you're in front of a television screen you're playing a character you're moving them around in this world is that simply going to cause weaker storytelling Um, And then with games that maybe really try to emphasize storytelling, and I think immediately of most of Sony's games, which is like God of War or Last of Us, um, would those stories, ambitious as they are, be better told if they were in a book format, movie format, etc., than they are, um, than, I guess, than whatever justice ought to be served to that is being served to them in the gaming format. Sure. Well, it just, it depends. So um, to quote my best friend, Brock, um, who, who I love Brock, and uh, he, there's a crucial uh, moment in the story uh, of God of War Ragnarok where he says, you know, sometimes it's not the form of the thing, it's the nature of the thing. And, mm. and I think the same applies here. Anything that's well done, will be great despite its format. It's like an athlete. It's like Tom Brady. Like It's like LeBron James. They are great despite the format. Uh, obviously, they have physical limitations. They're both getting older. you know. But LeBron has won championships with multiple teams. Tom Brady has done the same. Greatness overcomes sometimes a, a, a shortcoming in format. Um, sometimes people can get more from a conversation with someone than they can with a book written by that individual. We see that with Joe Rogan's podcast. The views that he gets on a podcast episode will have more 
you know, people listening in to a, 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 a version of whatever that author or that person is saying, then if that person were to write a book, it probably won't sell as many copies as Joe Rogan gets listens and views. It's just the, it's just the nature of things. Um, so, you know, we, 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 it just depends. It depends. I don't think video game is a weaker format. I do think that sometimes it can be if the, if the narrative is this great, like, why would you, you, would you play a video game for philosophy? No, because philosophies are best done in a lecture format. They're done in a church uh, from a theological perspective. They're done in conversation with uh, a monk or a minister or a, or a, a friend, a father figure, or a, a mentor. They are, you know, a philosophy video game that doesn't make sense, but maybe even a philosophy book would be too droll or too boring or whatever else. Perhaps you learn more about um, religion and theology from a debate than you do from a sermon, perhaps. So format, sure, but is what is the nature of the thing? And when we talk about grand narratives, when we talk about storytelling, God of War Ragnarok, uh, obviously the game that we're talking about today, excels in terms of telling a story. Um, in terms of not telling a story, Elden Ring excels with the gaps that it leaves in there and the vibes. And it, Elden Ring is a good example of this, of the nature of the thing if it's mysterious, if it's whatever. And you can't really say nothing in a book. You can't print pages of blank space. You can't do that. It doesn't work. So you need to have you need to have the right you have to know the nature of the thing in order to determine what format that it needs. If there's a you know, why would I play a video game to have an argument with my wife? I you know, I need to have a conversation. And what kind of conversation? Well, preferably one that's done in person instead of over the phone or over Skype or over text. So the format, right? Like what is the nature of the thing that needs to happen? Is it important that I be able to touch you while we talk? Is it important that I be able to look you in the eyes, et cetera? So that, it, it depends. It really does depend. Obviously, you don't want okay. video games for everything. You can't claim that is the best format because I think that's inappropriate to say. But it is certainly a great format. My brother and I made – my mom asked me and my brothers because we were talking about video games, of course, because they were asking me about God of War. And they are working through the first God of War. Anytime they come over to my house, they play God of War, the first one. And they're going to get to Ragnarok eventually. And I love being able to do that with them. But my mom asked me, "Is like, why did you guys – why do you guys play so many video games? I was like, why do you watch great movies? I play great video games because you watch great movies, because we read great books, because we listen to great songs. It's the same thing. Uh, there are forms of art, and some are better in video game form, and some are better in, you know, other forms. So that long answer. Sorry for the long-winded answer, but that's that's my answer. Okay, my question follow-up would be: Okay, you're right that the format sometimes lends itself toward or doesn't take away from, at the very least, mm-hmm. the nature of the story itself. But is there, in your mind, any gaming story? Uh, whether that's the direct plot that's being shown and played or the overarching world itself that can compare to the likes of classic film, the likes of classic books, and the staying power that those stories have. Do you think any video game can be put into that category? Of course, in a different format, a different way of experiencing a story, but still legendary classic in that way yeah i mean well to be frank yeah the the you can't read 
Well, just take God of War, for example. Like, the fact that he, he brutally murders the Greek pantheon is yeah. <laughs> much more engaging. I, I would imagine, too, that even those back in Greece in the day when Homer was writing his original stories, I would imagine that even they would agree that seeing it in person with their visual eyes is more engaging than just reading about it. Um, and doing it. <laughs> and, and doing the, it. With the, and, that's the thing about video games is that you're the one <laughs> doing it oftentimes, right, which does right. lead to some very interesting storytelling beats. But anyway, continue. Yeah. And, and to say, like, but would you rather play the game or would you rather have a really great storyteller, maybe your grandfather, for instance, tell you the story rather than read it? Which, which in... in to be frank, the game kind of diminishes the sacredness of uh, the story because of you know because of what we associate it. When we associate sitting down and listening to a story from grandfather, it's a bigger, more sacred, more profound event, hopefully, than playing a video game. I think because when you tell people you play a video game, you have to deal with stigma and and anti-video game bias and like oh you're you're still a child you haven't put away childish things etc so it just depends I, I would say that yes however you know ragnarok in its its vision or version rather of norse mythology is compelling in the way that they portray thor and odin and all these different things and staying true to the nature of it while changing the form of it i i really do believe that yes some of the games that we've played can compete um can compete with some of the great literature that we've ever written, just like some of the greatest TV shows ever written can, like Lord of the Rings, stand up, in my opinion, are just as good as the books. Um, they're different mm. in form, but the nature is still there. And I think that's yeah. the important thing. So yes, and answer your question, yes, I do think. Um, but you have to understand that there's some sacredness that shouldn't be played with. Like you shouldn't be playing some of the more sacred ideas in human, you know, I think it's good to archetypically, you know, deal with everything that humans deal with. That's why we find these stories relatable and enjoyable, but to take away from the sacredness of it by putting it in a format that's uh, not appropriate for it, you know, that's where you get into a little bit of a trouble. But yes, I do think, yeah, yeah I, to answer your question, yes. That's uh, what is it? Call of Duty, I think it's Modern Warfare 2 or 3. I think it might be 3 actually where you go to a funeral and it's like press f to pay your respects <laughs> it's like you have like a like a quick time prompt to like right. go and show your like at that right. point you've draw, you've crossed that line of sacred i think and what you're kind of explaining where it's like uh, all right you gamified it too much like you now right. the story is lesser because of it yes. um and that's the thing and games too like there's definitely a balance to it I just it's it's so interesting to me because I love games. There are several that I throw up there as far as like fantastic stories that are being told. Um, Bioshock and the stories in both Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite are just to die for. Those are like books can be made of them. Horizon, same thing. Um, even smaller experiences like Inside, which we haven't gotten to yet so good and honestly could not exist outside of a game um and th that's the thing about games too is that sometimes the stories that are being told will not work in any other format um i think journey um even like the last of us like the last of us they're making a tv show of and i'm like ah like there's still just something that's taken away because of that you know yes um that interactivity and the the brutality of you actually like smashing someone's face in with a a baseball bat because you're trying to save your your close ally like 
Yeah. There's just something there, like the gravitas of it is missed because it's not in the game format anymore. Even something like Undertale. Like Undertale has such a fun, interesting story, but it plays on gaming. Like it it, it takes does. the tropes right. of gaming and Correct. turns them on you. And because of Correct. that it works. If you tried to take that and make it into a cartoon, I just don't know if it would work, you know? So it's like sometimes I have a hard time reconciling that where I have these visions of amazing stories like Halo, but every time they try to make a Halo thing, it's just garbage <laughs> compared right. to like right. how people experience it in the game. And it's like, I don't like, where's the disconnect and why does it happen so often? And I think games, because they're that interactive medium, definitely have a feel to them and a way of communicating a story to them that other mediums just simply don't and so because of that sometimes it just works in a way it can't work anywhere else and then other times the games take away from what the story could have been because of those elements so yes it works in yes. both ways and um i think it's just an interesting conversation to have what those classic stories are going into the future time will tell i guess but um i hope to see people like opening up to the idea of games as a storytelling format and one that yeah takes some finesse and and can be very difficult to 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 actually um eloquently do and that's the other thing is that games are meant to last for hours and hours and hours which a book a good book can as well like a big book can but because of the setup for it the way that the dialogue and the format of that being presented to you in games can be a lot more piecemeal and broken up and it also means that oftentimes a lot of the extra stuff to games is way weaker when it comes to like writing when it comes to the storytelling side of it right which is where games like witcher and red dead like really just pop off because every little thing even on the side is given the care and attention that the main story is given yeah so it goes both ways there as well, but um, it's just an interesting story or conversation to have because um, when you think of storytelling, I think a movie kind of is a is a heavy, just obvious punch of a way to do it in a fantastic two hour format, you know. Um, and then books obviously have so many different. You could go from a short story all the way up to a, a series where each book is worth or has you know two thousand pages that you have to read and. Um, how expansive it can get in that direction and games are just like they're they're not even in the middle somewhere they're just like this oddity off to the side yes that people right. just write off because it's called a video game you know you think game right. you think something for children um, yeah when in reality they've expanded greatly and the storytelling is so what it is that it's hard to tell whether it's better or worse or the best thing ever or the worst thing ever <laughs> and right. it comes down to the game itself oftentimes so Anyways, um, interesting conversation talking about games, though, that tell good stories. Let's jump into our pick of the week, and that is God of War Ragnarok.
here in 2022 for the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 5. Not sure how I feel about that, but uh, still released here, exclusive from Sony Santa Monica Studios, uh, a continuation of their reboot of God of War in 2018, a very ambitious take on a, quite frankly, shallow, violent, one-sided character in the original games and really just expanding on that. I think it's so interesting, even just sometimes the conversations that they're having, like Mamir's asking about Kratos' homeland or how he interacted with the fates there and stuff like that. And Kratos is like, oh, yeah, I, I ripped their heads off and I, I killed everybody in um, Olympus. And <laughs> it's just like the way he talks about it almost like doesn't connect with who he is in these games now. Right, Just right. sometimes, just because of how, how much they have taken him, like this journey they've taken him on, which I think they've done very well. Um, yes. But anyway... Ragnarok is here. Uh, it is inevitable. It has finally come to pass, regardless of whether Odin wanted it to or not. And now our question is, does this game make it into the Hall of Games? Jared, tell me, first and foremost, what was your overall impression when you first got into the game? And how do you feel about it, having seen credits roll? Yes, uh, my first impression of the game was that it despite and this is something that I talked about with Horizon Forbidden West was despite the fact that it starts off just as big as the first game well kind of yes and no yes and no but it starts off just as big as the first game I was like well you know how how is this going to be go is everything going to be bigger what are they going to do what questions will they answer from the first game how will they develop these characters how will they make them fresh and new and enjoyable how will they is it going to end how i think it's going to end how will they how will they make me care and my overall impression from was start to finish was that the the early the early game was weak i thought personally i felt was early game was weak the first start of the game was great early game weak mid game a little better late game great um those are my overall impressions of of the game i i had some questions going at how are you going to how are you going to in, improve on the gameplay how are you going to change things up how are you going to fix some issues i had with the first game how are we going to advance how are you going to do something fresh and new and so the, my final you know my overall impression my final one was that i think they did it i think they succeeded in in just about every category that they they thought to do um your comment about the playstation 4 playstation 5 thing i understand backwards compatibility but i really just felt like folks we need come on you need to get maybe it's because playstation 5s are still relatively hard to find it's a mixed bag like i hear people say yeah, I've gotten a PlayStation 5. It was really easy. I just went down to the store and grabbed one. And then I've heard some people say, I've like, I've been looking for a long time and I still, you know, I haven't been able to find one. So I don't know. Yeah. It's maybe that's part of it. Um, but yeah, those are my overall impressions was what were you going to do this time around to make me care just as much as I did the first time, and especially on big emotional impact moments. How are you going to recreate those and change them up? And I, I thought it was beautiful all the way through. And um, one thing that stood out to me specifically was the voice acting is just so much better mm. than Horizon Forbidden West. Well, oh, yeah. Just so much better. And it just makes me... I, I was thinking as credits were rolling, I was like, why can't Guerrilla Games find writers this good? I, are they all being hoarded by Santa Monica Studios? Like, what's going on here? So, <laughs> But anyway, that was my overall impression, Josh. How about you? Tell me what, okay. you're, what you were thinking. You know, I think just a quick springboard off of the comment about the PS4 and the PS5. 
into my overall impressions would be that I, when I first started this game, my first major impressions were, I can't help but tell this is built off of the PlayStation 4. Like, this is, this is better looking than God of War 2018, but not much more. No. And I can tell it wasn't built for the ground up for the PlayStation 5. Like, when I look at Forbidden West, when I look at Returnal, these games that were built for that, or even Ratchet and Clank, um, I... I see just like the the uh, effects in the little itty bitty details, like uh, things like particles and um, yep. the lighting of it and stuff. And it's beautiful, and the the uh, character models are detailed, and the way that they move is is heavy, and it's just like you would want for people to move. And that comes down to the motion capture and everything. So, like, they've done a great job in respect to that, but it hasn't taken that leap. And I can just feel it. I can just feel it in some of the production of the game. It's like, oh, this this can be had on the PlayStation 4. And because of that, I'm now sitting back with my arms crossed saying, okay, you're going to have to make it up in some way, shape, or form. And I don't know why they decided to try to make this a between generations game i wish that they had just committed to it especially after the pandemic they had so much extra time like i i don't know and i know that it throws things off and i didn't know all the inner workings of this and everything but uh i know they made a decision for forbidden west to just go full on to the playstation 5 and i wish they had here as well um because i can tell like this was a game that was built to also work on the playstation 4 and there's just no getting around that um yeah and the PlayStation 5 itself, like, it's becoming several years old of technology itself, you know? And that's only going to continue, and I'm just, I'm at the point now where I'm like, I want to see PlayStation 5-only stuff, because I think Sony Santa Monica could have done it. I think it would have taken this even to the next level in some of their cinematic quality and some of the impact of some of those different scenes. And I think Forbidden West shows you... um. A roadmap of how impactful even just facial animations can be in making a otherwise somewhat bland story like really pay off um not that the whole thing is bland but i'm thinking more of the side quests in horizon yeah um, <clears throat> but all that to say now i'm into it and i'm playing it and i'm thinking okay you're gonna have to impress me like this is not this is not god of war 2018 dlc this is a full-fledged sequel mm. I want the cinematics on the next level. I want the boss fights on the next level. I want the combat on the next level. I want a new weapon. That was one of the things, like, at the start of the game. I was like, if they don't have a new weapon in this, I'm going to be so disappointed. And at first, I thought that they were getting around it by adding in Atreus, which I was like, ah, okay, like, you got the Atreus sections, and yes, he has a totally different, like, even mentality in how you approach things because he's a bone arrow guy. Yeah. Um, and I thought that they were just going to stick with that, but then they gave me the, um, was it Drapnir? Dra- is that how you it's say Drapnir. It's Drapnir, Drapnir yeah. Drapnir Spear, which is so good. Loved that addition. Really great. Like, just in even the concept behind it. Like, just such a fun weapon. Um, so they delivered in that. I think they also delivered, I think in even the first, like, hour, just in the bombastic levels of, oh, they're taking this to the next level. Honestly, I felt in the original one that it could have gone further in scale. It could have gone further in boss fights. It could have gone further and so on and so forth. And they did that here with Ragnarok, which is what you wanted after having played the first one. Like, um, 
it gave me the same leap impression as probably between the first God of War and God of War 2. Um, it just had a, a whole level, extra level of, like, we're just going to throw as many big monsters at you as we can. We're going to have him, like, we're going to have Kratos thrown around the map by Thor. Uh, we're going to have all kinds of fun stuff going on. I think the the God fights, I wanted a couple more of. Just a couple more. I think the, um, the Hephaestus fight, Kind of fell a little flat. A little flat there. Could have been a little more crazy. Um, could have been a little more bombastic. I think the Thor fights were both great. Um, the Odin you said Hephaestus? fight was fine. You said Hephaestus. Did you mean Heimdall? Is that what I... Yes, Heimdall is what I'm saying. Yes, Hephaestus, you do not fight. <laughs> um, that'd be interesting, though, to fight. You do fight Hephaestus uh, in the in God of War 2, I think. Or, you're, or, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. So totally different uh, uh, pantheon there. Uh, yeah, Heimdall, but... Heimdall's fight was like this, just to that specifically, was like this talked up thing, like, should we do it? Should we not? There's no going back from that. And then he kind of just forced himself in there. And then you're like, oh, I don't have a choice. So the answer's right. been given to me. So I was like, I kind of liked it. I kind of didn't. I felt, you know, similar to you about it. But but yeah. No, yeah. I, well, I yeah. just think like spectacle wise, it could have, they could have had a few more fun moments with it. Yes. It just didn't. Yes. Um, which is fine. Like, I wanted to see more of Heimdall. Sorry, I said Hephaestus, but Heimdall's uh, future perception play out a little bit more. Like, they have it in the basic, like, oh, he's dodging when I'm trying to hit him. And that's about it. Like, I just yeah. wanted to see a couple more moments where he, like, obviously used that against Kratos or something like that. Um, but yeah, to each their own. It just yeah. happens that way. But anyway, all that to say, the further I got along in the game, the more I fell in love with the combat, the more I fell in love with, okay, they are really trying to tell a story on the next level here in Ragnarok. They, It's a crazy event, and they took it to that next level. I think some of how you get there is a little mushy. It's a little Agree. Agree. Um, kind of happenstance. It's not as purposeful as it could have been. And I think that comes down to even just the way they tried to tell the story like there's a lot of like atreus wanting to do something and kratos only tagging along because he's giving him the benefit of the doubt and at any moment kratos can pull the plug yeah and it because of that it just doesn't feel as intense or as like oh like we have to go and do this as questy i guess um, and there are moments where he, of course, does threaten to take them back, and it never pans out that way. And then they have just moments where Loki will go off, Atreus, Loki will go off and do his own thing, and you take over there. But those tended to, even though they were probably more integral to the story, they tended to feel very random. And um, it just didn't like transition as as I would have wanted to into the whole of the story as much as I would have wanted. And Kratos himself, because Atreus was really the focal point for a lot of this, he feels like he's just kind of getting dragged along. Um, and there's a story there to be told between him and Atreus, and they tell it well. There's a story to be told between him and Freya, so they tell that well. So there's some good moments and beats but how they get from thing to thing just feels like oh what are we gonna do next oh i guess this is a task we need to do so we're gonna go do it as opposed to like a motivation behind it i don't know it's just like not quite what i wanted from the story uh whereas i think in the first game they did a lot better with that like they had that driving force of getting to the mountain getting to jodenheim and um that just kept driving you forward whereas in this one there didn't seem to be a compelling driving force other than Atreus trying to find out who he was, which worked for him, but not for Kratos, not for Freya. I don't know. There's just like several other like 
parts of it that didn't feel as uh, motivation-y <laughs> as I wanted them to feel. But the story itself was still very good. And I think that the way that it concluded, especially, it was very strong. Um, and they went where you wanted them to go with that. Um, again, also in Spectacle, not quite at the level I would have wanted, but that's just me. I've played God of War 3, so I'm just spoiled. But nonetheless, still, at the end of it, very happy with this game. Thought it was done um it took what they had done with the first one to that next level that i wanted them to despite how skeptical i was at the start and it does not bother me now that this is a game built for the ps4 because i still think it's a fantastic game so yes uh you know it's it's interesting like spectacle wise i think you're so right because the studios decided to make this viable on the playstation 4 they 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 took their spectacle less seriously and i'm not trying to be an elitist like i i want people to play the game but if you can't find a ps5 or you haven't been able to purchase one or whatever else i'm not gagging on you i'm glad you're able to play on your playstation 4 but at the same time i just feel like knowing what that final battle looks like this thing needs to be as sexy as possible it really you know and and spectacle wise i'm in agreement with you there are some big big moments you know at the end of the game and he the i really felt like there was a couple of disjointed plot points i'm in agreement with you maybe on on different like when and where those plot points are but i really felt like the narrative overview of the first game was so strong because they had a singular a singular goal and if odin's family got in the way it's it was really you're disturbing my peace but then kratos has to make the decision in this, you know, in the second game with Atreus, obviously of like when to go after those that are coming to our doorstep. And, Mm -hmm. and it's really Kratos is again, dedicated to peace, but it, but it seems goes too uh, long. You think so? Yeah. I, 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 I think he's given too many reasons to jump into it before he actually does. And he keeps holding off. And he keeps second guessing, like even after they yes. broke tear out, like at that point, that's like the point of no return to me. Yes. And he still kept pestering and saying like, oh, we're going to go. Home. And at one point he finally did say like, we're going home. And it's like, it's too late. <laughs> like you're too far in at that point. I don't know. Like it just was kind of annoying how, how long he dragged that out. And it just yeah, seemed but- like they didn't know where to make other conflicts. I don't know. The second guessing was really. Here's what's interesting to me, um, to, and and we're gonna we'll, we can talk about the story because um, this is where my brain is heading here. Did you feel like? Did you hate Odin by the end of the game? I didn't absolutely hate him. I saw him as definitely. I I think that the way that they played him as like this frail old man who is like jabbering on about what's important worked pretty well yeah always kind of just because of his reputation like questioning what's going to happen i think the twist uh two-thirds of the way in was done perfectly i didn't see it coming and it totally got me yeah me neither odin into a lot more of a menacing force yes but for the most part he's he's sitting back while you're doing a lot of stuff at the beginning which makes sense because he's just listening and paying attention to what you're doing um but like when he by the end when he just starts like killing people i'm like okay like he is the bad guy and he is self-interested so personally i didn't get to the point where i hated him on any level that i've hated previous antagonists um but he did impose a good threat i would say yeah i 
I didn't hate him because I felt like there was too much of a disconnect between. So here's what happened. Like, I, I don't know if you remember, but like, despite Magni and Modi, Thor's sons, and Balder mm-hmm. um, being the main villains of the first game, when Mimir tells stories in the boat, it's all about Odin and Thor. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it's like, I don't know if you remember, think back to that, but like, I remember hearing, you know, statues. You know, seeing a statue of Thor and you break it in one of the side areas or whatever else in Midgard. And, and they're telling a story about how Thor is awful, about how he walks into a home, drinks all of their mead and won't leave. And how he <laughs> slaughters the giants and his ongoing feud with Jormungandr, which is a really cool touch um, later yeah. on in the game. The way that they yes. wrap that up is so cool. That was a cool little detail. I actually just played it before this podcast. I was like, oh, that's so dope. I have to mention that. But... But Odin being, you know, the 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 All Father and and imposing his will on the nine realms and forcing people into, you know, marriages essentially and and claiming that he's the I could have used more narcissism, and really it was I, I agree mm-hmm. his his pursuit of knowledge like that's still it's just not a bad thing I'm sorry like no. they kept saying like oh he's going to do bad things with the knowledge but I felt like I had to keep drawing on my 2018 playthrough to remember how bad Odin was because he seemed to have a structure in place that like yeah. oh he's just evil yeah well I know Heimdall's a bully I don't like Heimdall I rel- I will relish killing him I I can't wait for that moment that's great <laughs> he's obviously a bad person he's a punk that's fine but Thor I didn't re- like Thor was so Thor was so down on himself and I don't know why I was like yeah you you drank like okay why is that a big deal I don't remember what you did because all of the stories were told in the first game um, right and Odin and Thor being the two main baddies, like Thor being his hammer of, of of bad things, you know, to come and 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 mistreating people across the realms and all this different stuff. Like, I didn't understand. I didn't have enough angst against the two of them by the end of the game. Thor as a grieving father, it was pitiful to fight him, you know, at the end yeah, of it. Yeah. And I loved the way they wrapped up his story. You know, it was great. I I thought it was great, but I couldn't remember why he was so down on himself. It didn't connect to me. I was like, you seem like you're trying to be the best father you can be for Thrud and the best husband for Sif. There's a moment at which you you listen in on Sif and Thor talking in their room, and you really relate to Thor because he's having mm-hmm. trouble standing up to Odin because he's not... But, like, other than being a big lunk with a hammer and, you know, being called stupid and, like, no, you don't think. I do the thinking. You do the killing you know, that comment made by Odin, I really didn't remember why I was against these people. And and for Odin to put the villagers of Midgard out in front of his wall when they knew, you know, to be, to deter attack, that's fine. But these people were so waffling back and forth. Kratos and his crew were so waffling back and forth on whether to start Ragnarok or, or not. It was like, you couldn't have come up with a way to like, I don't know, adjust this scenario. I don't know. I just didn't feel enough hatred, yeah. I suppose, in the storyline. That's really the only no. part of the story that I felt was lacking. Um, I agree. I agree. He should have... I think narcissistic is a great addition. He should have had a few more lines in there where it was obvious where you're like, oh, this guy sucks. I don't know, because he, he plays it so smooth, which yes. I think is a part of it, but you yes. don't actually see that side of him nearly at all until I guess he kills... Brock, and then when he kills Thor, like you just see him like, ah, like quick knife. But even then, it's like obviously he had no other choice at that point, you know. Um, 
Maybe not yeah. so much with Brock, but especially with Thor. Like, that was his last resort. And it would have been nice to see... Because you see the effects, right? Like, you you hear Mimir talking about how he oppressed the dwarves and um, how, of course, he Mimir suffered under him. And you hear the same thing from Tyr, where he's talking about how horrible he is. And Fe- Freya as well. Like, they're all talking about all the awful things Odin has done. But you don't see any of that right. actually happen before you. Like, that's right. not something that you observe him do. And yes. he doesn't talk in that way. In fact... Even his granddaughter has no clue how bad he is. Which yes. For someone yes. of such an epically proportionally bad character, like that should leak out more in his personal life and some of the things that he says and um, come off in ways where, like, even in being, in general, you just get a bad impression from him. If yes. so many people hate him so much, that should be a part of his character and you just don't get any of that at all instead yeah. you just get this guy who's like hey like obviously i'm self-interested but what are we like what we're doing could be done together and here's why yes. and it seems like i don't know like the people who made the mistake of doing things with him have just as much of a fault in the midst of that as odin did <laughs> i don't know um just because they didn't play him at the level they probably should have and I totally agree with that. So by the end, I'm like, I'm killing him. But it's like, well, it's just because I'm supposed to. <laughs> like, that's that's right. That's right. I felt the same way. And when he killed Thor, I just was like, as the person who, as the person who um, is the head of the family and killed Thor in front of Thrud and then... Right. I, I, I don't know. I just suppose there was some things I felt like maybe if you were to give the villagers Skjolder and the villagers out in front of the wall, if you were like, well, we're not allowed in there. That was a good little touch. But if you're like, oh, yeah, well, we're given rations, you know, one piece of bread per person a day. It's like, oh, so this guy's cruel and he's claiming, you know, or yeah, or if he yeah. hit through it, if he smacked through it across the face and called her useless and said, you're never going to be a Valkyrie if you keep acting like I didn't see any of that. I didn't see any cruelty. I didn't see any. I just I just saw deception. I just saw an old man. And to be frank with you, to be frank with you, all of the bad things that he did the first time around are they're just not hammered home enough if i could say that yeah. that's that's really it that's really it because the thor sif through dynamic the three of them was executed fine except that i didn't know why he was so upset at himself and yeah. but the but the voice actor for thor and the conversations he has with atreus and that whole vibe and nature is fantastic especially for especially for setting up atreus loki as a great redeeming young naive but a redeeming young man i really enjoyed that but but there are definitely some some things that could have been done a little better just to hammer home who's bad who's good and why do we care really um so that was great um no i totally agree what did you think of the um handling of who loki was atreus and him coming into his own discovering his his purpose and his powers and whatnot so that's a good question, and the difficulty is that I don't know who Loki is from Norse mythology. I know who he is from Marvel, and so my my <laughs> well, the difficulty is that my so perspective like, this isn't on Tom Hiddleston, <laughs> yes, right. Well, that's the thing. It's like, well, I I have an open mind. I'm going to instead think of Loki. I'm going to think of Loki as Atreus. Really, is is Atreus? You know, being given another name, which 
kind of seemed to get lost in, in everything. It, it was kind of just like, oh, you're the champion of the Jotnar and whatever else. And I still am not clear on the prophecy thing. I still don't get it. I'm like, I'm not sure who is supposed to do what. Maybe Kratos was the champion of the Jotnar. It's just not clear. Um, yeah, it, no, I and, understand what you mean by that. Yeah, There's a it, few things at the end. It wasn't like 100% clear, like, oh, because Kratos was supposed to die. So it's like, oh, he didn't die. So when did they go and break off from prophecy? Like what what moment Where? did that happen? Right. right. It wasn't pointed out. Some things they did that were in prophecy, like killing Heimdall, starting Ragnarok. So it's like, where is that line? Where did they take their own autonomy? It's like totally lost. Yes. And the Norns the Norns were infuriating for how long that quest took to get to them. Um, and, how little they gave, <laughs> how and, little answers they gave. Yes, and how annoying yeah. they were. It's like, oh, well, we can just predict what you do because your character is so strong. I was like, okay, so there is no prophecy. I just kind of have to do yeah. something unpredictable or different or change myself. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, well, whatever. But it just was so, it was talked about so much, this prophecy and Anger Boda's obsession with prophecy um, yeah, yeah. I, I just really felt like there was some, it was too many threads sticking out of this cardigan here. We had too many loose threads here. Um, it wasn't <laughs> as cohesive of a story as the first game, which is just two, yeah. two men trying to grieve their loved one, their mother and their wife and, and trying to accomplish a goal and not make any ripples. And that piece is being threatened by accidentally getting in the way of Balder. Like that's fine. That works. It's a very yeah. cohesive story. But they're trying to do so many things. They were trying to make Mimir happy. They're trying. They gave you more depth on Brock and Sindri. They gave you more depth on Loki and Angerboda uh, and the Jotun and um, you know Freya and Freyr and you know it, it was just a, <laughs> there was a lot of depth that I really enjoy. But there was also so many distracting factors that I really just kind of lost track of where I was supposed to be grounded at any given point yeah, and and the sure. reasons why we were doing things. So. Um, yeah. Uh, what did you think of, along those lines, what did you think of how they handled Kratos? Um, he actually gives us a, a, a chuckle in this game in Ragnarok. Yeah. I don't know if he cries. I didn't. I don't know if I ever saw any tears. Um, maybe if it he was done. He gets close to it. He gets close to it, yeah. He, there's moments where his mouth twitches ever so slightly and the motion capture really shines because it can capture those tiny moments. There's times where he hugs his son a couple times. Um, he, he puts hands on people in, in comforting ways. He has got emotion in his voice. Like, what did you think of how they took our favorite stoic? Yeah. Uh, good question. Cause I think he was part of the game that I wish was, I don't know, like more explored, which this was obviously not his game. Like this was supposed to be about Atreus. Yes. And yes. he, because of that kind of fades into the background a little bit. Uh, of course, his own denial of prophecy saying, like, we're not doing this because it's foretold, but because it's required of us, so on and so forth. And obviously, he doesn't die at the end. So he somewhere was avoiding prophecy there. And he talks about how, you know, he doesn't put too many, um, you know, to put, put too much thought into it at all. Um, and because of that, maybe that's why he's able to avoid it i don't know um he's definitely like the bludgeoning tool of the group so like he's used that way quite a bit in the game and there's still some stuff with him and atreus like and their their relationship has grown and you can tell that even at the start i think he doesn't make sense to me sometimes in how he handles atreus yes um yes. 
he's far too patient <laughs> with this kid. <laughs> like, especially for Kratos. Like, I I wanted him, what was it? It's when he goes to Jotunheim, when um, Atreus disappears for like two days. And then Kratos comes back and he actually confronts him at home. He like shows up through the realm gate um, and takes takes Atreus by surprise and knows that he's lying to him. And I just wanted to see some of that like old anger, like just some of that like previous Kratos come out because he had been the entire time really just not that way at all. He had been very understanding. He's still gruff, but he doesn't call him boy anymore. There's several moments where he actually reaches out and touches him and holds him. So like, uh, and there's a big moment at the end where he they tell each other, or it's towards the end where they tell each other like, regardless of where we are, like you listen to the voice of mine in your head when things are you know told. Like when you know like I would disagree with yeah. that, like you listen to it. Yeah. And then Atreus says, okay, same for you for me. And it yes. seems like great father-son connection beautiful beautiful loves that it seems like it paid off but most of that happened in the first game like most of that struggle happened back then and now we're seeing an atreus growing up who's really trying to do his best who's calm who's kind but also still directly lying to his father and i just wanted a little bit more contention there between kratos letting go and atreus also still showing him honor and respect despite having his own interests now that he's trying to pull off and i don't think they quite did that um they showed them getting closer together but without any of the conflict to get there and it worked it was fine but that also was the core of the first game and it definitely takes the backseat to the epicness of what's going on which is totally fine but because of that, Kratos himself feels like he's on the back burner. Like he's around because they need him for the combat. <laughs> yeah. Um, he doesn't want to do it the whole time. He doesn't want to be involved. He constantly is going and doing things, even though he said he didn't want to, which is like, okay, like what in the world? Like now you're going to go to Vanaheim with Freya on your own just because you don't know what else to do. And you're going to help her like this person who is your sworn enemy. Um, I don't know. Just a lot of it didn't seem like Kratos to me. And, there was a loss of like who he was in the original games and even who he was in the last God of War because they're trying to sell this like newfangled idea of him being a changed man. When I get it, people can change, people can grow, people can learn, and, and he's had the years to do that. But what makes Kratos such an interesting individual is that he does have that awful past that you want to see rear its ugly head from time to time. And we just didn't see that in this game. Like he talks about it in passing. And like I said earlier in the podcast, like he'll, he'll talk about some of the awful things he's done. And you're looking at this like kind, older bearded guy who you've not seen do anything even close to that in this game. And you're like, what in the world? Like, yeah, he's, he's ripping like, I guess giant wolves jaws off because the, giant wolf attacked him but otherwise like he's a total kind like wants to avoid death at all times dude and there was just something there that was missing for me i don't know if you feel the same way but by the end especially like he's doing ragnarok just because that's what's happening and it just felt like he was getting dragged along and i missed because he is i mean he's the title guy he's the god of war like i missed some of that focus on him which comes down to obviously they just had to give it towards towards others but i felt like because of that his journey wasn't as much as i wanted it to be in this game yes i i would agree with uh uh the broader points the i think 
I would just move some things around in the story because I think you're you're exactly right. The connection between Atreus and Kratos in emotional sense is actually weaker in this game than it was in the first one. Um, especially because you know that Atreus was too young to understand the... You could see him, you know, he's like, we're gods, we can do whatever we want. And that's a flashback that he has multiple times in the second game, which is beautifully done. I, I love that because right. that really shows how he's growing. But at the same time... I think they introduced Freya as Kratos' partner too soon. I really feel like the Norns should not have showed up when when Atreus went to Asgard. They should have shown up when he disappeared for a couple days in Jotunheim. Um, right. Kratos should have panicked and tried to find him. And instead, uh, I, just the way things were moving around, the Norns, Freya, would you help me? I'm desperate to find my son. I have no idea where he is. It's been days as opposed to he just kind of sh- comes back and shows up and it's like not a big deal. Um, Loki right. going to Asgard could have been a little bit better done. Um, I felt like there was a little bit of cheating with the camera work, just a little bit. Like, it, yeah, you didn't give me a loading screen or, a, a you know, you, you didn't cut the shot per se, but you kind of cheated a little bit. You zoom so far <laughs> in on something that you could do that. You know, it's I don't know. It's kind of cheating. Right. But then there were other moments where the camera passed so seamlessly from one person to the next that I was like, this is so beautiful to watch. Right. Um, when you're first introduced to it playing as Atreus, you can't even believe it. You're just like, what? I'm about to play as Atreus? Um, it's so seamless. So um, That one was particularly good because it, it goes out of there at Sindri's house. And yep, Kratos yep. is talking. Yep. And it goes out of his window and then pans down yes. to where Atreus is hiding and listening. And then you follow him and Sindri over to the portal, and all of a sudden you're like going as him, and you're like, "What in the world?" Like that was beautifully done, and the camera throughout the game is just absolutely gorgeous and helps to deliver the story beats in more yes. ways than one. Just side note there, but the anyway, continue. Um, the largest emotional impacts to me, however, and I think this is to your point. This is what I would say: the largest emotional impacts to me were Brock and Sindri first and foremost. I I wept when Kratos mm. had Brock bless the spear. Uh, that's, I cried. Um, the respect from this stoic character, Kratos, in asking Brock to bless the spear, and Brock, Brock was, for the first time in his life, speech, the first time we've seen him, speechless in front of the lady, the lady it, who he respected <laughs> so much that even this you know profane, cussing individual respects, and then he sensed something was off, something was wrong. And then you learn about the background between Sindri and Brock. And um, that was beautiful and tremendous. And there was a couple other moments. Um, I got a little teary-eyed in the final battle when I saw Jormungandr and Thor in the distance. I don't know why that struck me so much. Um, hmm. I, it, that just got to me. I think because large battles kind of just speak to me. They inspire me a little bit. It's like everyone's trying yeah. so hard to accomplish this thing. But there's one or, one or two more Unfortunately, Freya's plot line didn't inspire me too much. Um, it was a little, it was a little hard to follow. Um, so that was part of it. I, I guess I'm in agreement with you here. I felt like Kratos as a character, I needed him. The moment that you mentioned where Kratos and and Atreus share that, and Kratos is like, "I was wrong." That apology is so beautiful and it's so well done. Um, however, this trust that they suddenly have 
Kratos is not the type of person to just be okay with not knowing the information. He's not okay with his son just withholding things from him. Kratos has been burned so badly in his life by not knowing all the information that this seems unacceptable, an unacceptable breach of his character. I really feel like they needed to do the whole trust thing where Kratos just, because it kind of, Kratos decides to trust Atreus like as they're walking through the tree, if I remember correctly, it's not even done in a cut scene. It's just kind of like this big monumental move for his character is done in my sense. Like, like Helheim was a little different. It's, it's like, yeah, they learned to trust each other, but that's not where I felt like the moment was. Maybe I'm mistaken. Right. But no, I'm in agreement with you. I'm, I'm having trouble putting the words together with it. But I, I do agree with you that his character seems stretched in some ways that was inappropriate. And then stretched in other ways that were the perfect growth of him as a person. I really felt like by the time we forgave Thor that that is exactly what Kratos would have done. I, I felt yeah. that. Yeah. And Atreus trying to forgive Odin, even, even at the last second, felt like very key Atreus. Like, that is exactly what he would do. And um, for Sindri to come in and strike the final blow felt appropriate as well. Um, again, okay. and then Mimir, Mimir as the another father figure that Atreus acknowledges. And then finally, Atreus, that gorgeous over-the-shoulder shot, or really to the left of Atre- uh, of uh Kratos' shoulder, seeing Loki stand with his one knee up, ready to take that next step into manhood, which is independence. That, these are some key, beautiful core moments. It's just that the the filler in between felt like there could have been some things moved around. It's just very confusing. Again, a lot of loose threads. So, um, no, I I think we share that same impression as far as a storytelling narrative that the first one is much more cohesive, for sure. I think so. And the isn't to pull away at all from the Ragnarok conflict at the center of this. Very epic. Um, that's yeah, very epic. It's looming over them the whole time. It's the, will they, won't they actually trigger this thing? Um, when they go for it, I wanted a little bit more decisiveness. I, I think it worked pretty well because it came right after the tear reveal, which was really well done. And I loved that whole part. I just loved that whole part. Cause they're all talking, um, what does he walk away with? Does he walk away with the... Um, the mask. The mask. Yeah. Yes, he has the mask. And he like yeah. starts to walk away. And even me, like I'm watching this and I'm like, something's off here. Like He's a little too gung-ho about this and like, yeah. leaving right now. Yeah. And sure enough, Brock picked up on it. And I was just like listening and paying attention. I was like, what in the world? And then it turns out Tyr hadn't been there the whole time. Loved that, which then immediately after that, they're going into like, okay, we got to go do Ragnarok now. So like that gave you the impetus. It drove you. It showed you that Odin was a threat, like all of that, but it was a little too late in the game for me. I feel like there could have been something similar to that before a betrayal or something. Although that one was a pretty big one. And I liked that it waited, they waited for as long as they did. I was just the whole game waiting for tear to fight and like, see how he fought. And then for him to not even have been there the whole time was just like, Holy crap. I don't know. It's just, it was very well done, very well done. But a lot of the little stuff getting to those moments, like you said, just didn't quite gel. It's like, oh, uh, we have to go build a spear. Oh, and I know the perfect uh, ring to go and do it. Um, and so we're just gonna, we're gonna go do that. Oh, I have to go release um, Freya's soul from the captivity in Vanaheim, which you get to fight Nidhogg, which was really fun. Um, that was a cool fight and everything like that, and, and how mm-hmm. that all plays out lore wise was great. Um, 
and there's just like a, a like things like that throughout the game where it's like oh they're doing x they're doing y oh they're he's gonna go help anger boda with her her angry grandmother and it's like what <laughs> like oh uh, ragnarok's coming like where's the focus supposed to be here and um it just seemed like a lot of like okay here's the major story moments we want and here's beat, 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 beat to get there, and we're just checking them off the list as opposed to making it really flow one thing into the next. Yeah. Um, but the overall story of Ragnarok was well done, and the payoffs for all the different individuals in their relationships by the end were great as well. I would agree Brock and Sindri were really the heart of this game. Yeah. Which you want it to be Kratos and Atreus, but it's just not how it worked out. And they do a wonderful job, both oh, of their yeah, actors man. and, and both of those, like several moments between them, uh, in conveying what happens there and uh, the tragedy at the end. And uh, I love the revelation of Sindri having not gotten all the soul portions for Brock yeah. before, and yeah. that's why he is the way that he is and stuff like that. Like, there's a, a lot going on there, and because of that, the game is very fulfilling in how it tells its story. But you want the parts to be gelled together a little bit more for it to be a perfect story, so it's not quite at the level of perfect for me. Um, now, story-wise, I'm sure we'll talk about other things as we go through here, but uh, what did you think of how it took you to all the different realms in this game? Which was something they promised in the last one, that we'd go to all the realms, and we did so, Um did you did you enjoy them? Did you enjoy the maps in each of them? Did you feel like there was enough variety in between them? Was there one that was your favorite? Was there one that you thought was incredibly lacking? Tell me what you thought of the different realms. So this will tie into the combat nicely if you want to go there. The, the, the realms really seem to me to be uh, large and adequate. Now, there was a moment in there's a so atreus is with thor a couple times and he takes thor to niflheim and they go there and thor makes the atreus makes the comment like last time i was here with my dad there was just poisonous mists and thor says well yeah if you come through Tyr's temple it's nothing but poisonous mist through there and so there's this there's moments that illuminate the reason why the worlds are the way that they are that happen sure. a little out of order because the first time you go to niflheim you can just go and there's Odin's Ravens, and it feels very... I never used that training arena one time, not a single time. Um, that's off to the left there. And the Ravens, yeah, they were odd, And but but two, it was like, what are we doing here? Niflheim is a land of mists and poisonous stuff. Why? What's up with this? Why does it look this way? Um, and a far cry from the first game. Um, so there was some odd things that here... But again... And I wish I had spent more time in Asgard. I really liked how they portrayed Odin's um, home, like the triangle thing, which was like that really hammered home that Odin cares about knowledge only. He really doesn't even care about wealth. It's like the biggest parts of the home are his study and then beneath that, the massive library that he has. Like that's who he is as a person. He doesn't care necessarily to rule. In fact, he just seems like someone who is given power. And as opposed to the Odin that we know from Marvel – who tries to create splendor and, and kind of like what you, the rich elites is what you'd think of. Um, you kind of think of Odin as more of just like a man who knows too much and who gets into trouble because of that. And that's interesting. Mm. Again, 
with the stabbing of Brock, I could have used that narcissism more in Odin throughout the game. Because, will you just shut up? And that, like, that's really nice. I like that. But the realms themselves, I wish I could have spent more time in Asgard a little bit. Maybe more time in a couple. Helheim was great. I need just that amount of Helheim. No more, no less. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, some of these other realms, obviously Midgard, um, Svartalfheim, and Alfheim, like those are all excellent. That was what I wanted. I think I mentioned it in the first podcast. Is like I wish I had gone to all of them. It was too much of a tease to see them there and not be able to go. So that was very right. satisfying. And then Vanaheim having two distinct areas. The do you remember the crater area? Did you ever go there? Have you gone there yet? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And all the dragons it's, that f- that felt like it should have been in Svartalfheim, unless I'm sure. tripping. So it's like it was a little odd sometimes, like slightly inconsistent biomes here and there. Um, but then again, the world is vast and it's kind of strange and odd and whatever else. And um, so I, I wanted more reason for their distinction. Um, right. And this I wanted more Thimble Winter effects too. It seemed like Midgard obviously was the hardest hit. But yeah. then some of the other, and they mentioned like, oh, when they go into Swartalheim, there's a lot more gas. And um, so they like mention other things in some of the other realms that are going on. But I just wanted some more visual punch with it. I don't know. Something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the wolves was a cool touch that they chased the moon and the, the sun and like Love Vanaheim. That. I like that a lot. I need, I, I like a lot of that uh, uh, Norse uh, mythology and symbol. I like that a lot. Anytime you can introduce the, the, the Norse uh, mythology, I'm I'm good to go, and more and more of that is is good. Um, so yeah, realms were great. Muspelheim, however, I much prefer the way they did the trials in the first game. Personally, okay, uh, that's I haven't just touched them yet. Okay, that's just a personal preference of mine. Um, I'm also playing the game on the first game. I played at story mode. I played at the lowest difficulty. In this game, I played give me balance, and I have to say the contrast between. Uh, the normal mode on God of War versus normal mode in for Horizon Forbidden West is refreshing. Forbidden West was way too hard for normal <laughs> mode. I don't know what was going on. I was like, how is this normal? This is ridiculous. This is harder than Zero Dawn was on hard. So I don't know what was going on. But uh, God of War, give me balance, was really nice. I, I enjoyed that level of playthrough. I would maybe even turn it down just one more just to enjoy the story that much more. Um, it gets a little hard to take kratos as a character seriously if he's dying all the time and i know that's your fault but that's just my (laughs) two cents but no i i also love the incorporation of more easier to get to like i don't know if you remember when the lake drains in midgard in the first game it just becomes Mm -hmm. a lot of traversal that's pretty tedious and i felt like traversal across the realms was much improved much improved and that has a lot to do with how they changed from the first game to this one. Yeah, um, that was something that was a big benefit to this one because they yes. have a lot of those latch points that you just swing up to. Yep. A um, lot less climbing. In fact, when there were portions where there was a lot of climbing, I noticed it because of how yes. fast yes. you're moving in a lot of the other portions of the game. So Would I thought they improved on that greatly. One thought, too, before you move on. Um, I just had it, and I wanted to make sure that I ask it was, what did you think of the moment in the first Thor fight where it looks like you die, and then he goes like, oh, no, I'm not done with you yet, and he, like, shocks you back awake. I love that because it shows, like, your game over screen, 
it just was like it was a video game thing to do you know yes. like yeah it was gamified and it was done in a perfect way where i'm like yes this is still a video game they're still having fun with that and it looks like oh like i and i even remember in the moment i was like i totally dodged that or whatever because you get yeah hit, but it was supposed to happen and then he dies and it goes to a game over screen like you're about to press x to restart and then he like starts your heart back up basically which was i thought a really fun moment was that something that stood out to you oh yeah well now that you say it yes in the moment i i thought oh that was that was clever i remember being uh, probably the same uh, just a little frustrated because like, i definitely dodged that like what are you talking i'm gonna do- i have to start all over again just because right and then that happens i was like oh you know that was nice i i forgot about it up until this moment i thought it was a cool yeah i that's a pretty cool moment i i felt like from a character perspective, I just really was more impressed with Thor as a character than Odin. I will say that. And so to sure. be to be battling with him felt epic. And I it was reminiscent of the Baldur fight being launched over the house through yes. it kind of partially. And I was like, here we go again. This is God of War. And so it was a really good start to the game, um, in my opinion, for sure. Did um, they ever explain why there was an extra frozen um lightning rod yes why was so, that i don't know so you have to do catching. the all of those little ghosty quests in that area you have to do all of them i think there's four of them um and there are tedious because that area is a little annoying to get through because it looks so similar on both sides there's like two main areas and it's like i can't remember where i was um what realm is that is that that's in vanaheim but it's like that crater that's area that's like north yeah, the, like yeah, yeah. northwest um which was, again, talking about loose threads. When Bergevir, the, the traveler, jumped and killed the dragons, the music that played was as, as if a seriously main character had just died. But I was like, I don't even know who this is. Like, I don't, why do I care? Like, I'm, thank you for your sacrifice. It was appreciated. You know, Kratos says it was foolish, but appreciated. But then he survives, and it's like, oh, okay. What was with the music? I don't know. I just felt like it, I didn't get enough of a connection to some of the side characters um mm. for some of the decisions that they made in, in terms of the plot but dude, anyway that so though you have to do the four ghosties that are in that area and once they tell you what situation was going you find out that it was your your wife Faye. it was Faye fought okay. with thor with that axe and created another that was bolt. my guess yes but, but you don't know why they fought other than thor was well, drunk she was a giant and he killed them all so okay all right that's fair i guess they just keep I keep getting disconnected from the larger points of the story. And I, I, I wouldn't, I'm, I'm not trying to boast, but I'm really not one to not pay attention to things like this. Um, yeah. I, I, I like to be, I love lore. You know that about me. So it, it oh, kind yes. of felt like it just didn't get hit home in some of these areas that it could have been. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. That could very well be the case. Um, a slip Maybe up that's your me. new, your new nickname, Jared. You've gone from <laughs> casual to mercenary to now like, lore king or something <laughs> your your lord oh jeez <laughs> that's pretty bad <laughs> i don't know something we'll figure it out <laughs> that wasn't too bad um the uh, i said yeah so that's what happened it was fey uh fey uh and at the end of that the really the conclusion is that mimir says to kratos well you know we don't always know our spouses as, as well as we think we do and Faye yeah. is still kind of a mysterious character. You really are not sure. Even the final uh, prophecy at the very end of the game, just before you get Mimir and Freya, 
Um, it's not explained. I don't know if did did you understand what was going on there? What was ex- remind me what was going on? It's with him and Freya, or not him and Freya, him and uh, Laufey again, right? Uh, yes. Like he, so at the very end of the around. game, I don't remember exactly what was going on though. Yeah, at the very end of the game, he says goodbye to Atreus, and then he oh, when walks. he's looking at the board, yeah, the he back sees, of it. like the yeah. Oh, dude, I my thought was Egyptian. If you look at the like, if you look at the like the way that the characters look, even at the third panel, it looks slightly different. It looks more like hieroglyphics to me. So that, in my opinion, that was a hint towards what they were gonna do next. Which Egyptian is the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. Um. To me, I I don't know. I guess they could pull a bunch out of like the Aztec pantheon, but I mean they can't have him going after Christianity. Like the next thing is. <laughs> is egypt and like the egyptian pantheon like that's the only other like iconic one i guess you could throw in some more chinese and stuff but like even that's like a lot less defined so yeah in my opinion it was because that's the whole thing with him and odin earlier is that he's never been worshipped as a god that's like odin's taunting him in that way like you've never been loved like what do you know about being a true god and yeah um and so kratos looking at that now he sees that and he sees like, oh, that's my next step is to like go and become a god worth worshiping in another pantheon. Since I keep destroying the pantheons that I show up to, <laughs> that was mm. my thought. That was my, that's what I thought was going on there. But I'm totally jumping to conclusions as well. That didn't even cross my mind, but that's that would be an interesting segue for sure. Well, and he's like golden too. Like he's like, yeah, he, he looked like a golden. I don't know. So I, something about it just struck Egypt to me. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, I I didn't think of that, but that actually does make sense. Um, Maybe it's bail. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be awkward. Um, no, there's <laughs> there's definitely some room. I mean, the Indian goddess Kali of destruction. I mean, there's you could go there. You could uh, going True. eastern. Going eastern would be a little funky. Indian makes sense to me. I agree. Indian actually makes more sense than going all the way to China because that's too yeah. like list Studio Ghibli Sekiro and like. You know, they can do that stuff. That's I'm sure that's all covered over there. That's like old Jet Li Kung Fu movies, like the Monkey King. Like right. that's old stuff. You know, you know, I don't think you want to go that direction. Um, but Egypt makes a lot of sense. So does the Indian goddess uh pantheon and um, Kratos versus the Jews though. I can imagine that. Yeah. It's just like you have to go take out like Elijah and Elisha and like deal with all the different prophets and <laughs> dude that'd be a heck of a game i feel Fight like if cherubims you, and seraphims if, and yeah i i almost feel like if you were to lucifer do a game in the in the christian pantheon you would have to set it in the old testament oh yeah you need yeah. like the golden calf in there yeah for you real need the opposing gods um the fish god of the philistines and then like Baal and yeah 100 percent. yeah that's very interesting um but but with Kratos and the way that the way that things you know end with him, um, you know Freya and Mimir and whatever else, there are just some things that weren't I don't know wrapped up super great. Although yeah. now would be a, I I kind of lost uh, the track of thought here, but now would be a great time to dude. What they did with Jormungandr is actually that snake that loki put a soul into in jotunheim did you catch that i okay so i wanted to ask you about that so 
what happened was because in the story like in the in the lore loki is the father of jormungandr um and they kind of explain that by having him put a soul into jormungandr one of the giant souls and then they talk about how it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger which was a, then a thought in my mind is 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 jodenheim out of time like are they out of sync with without what else is going on if they said that that happened, I missed it. But is that what's going on there? Because that would make perfect sense to me. Yeah, I don't know. In it has to be that way because right they overexplain. Well, and they it. already have a weird relationship with time because they of do the prophecies because of the, the pro- right. Like, yeah, so that makes perfect sense. But yeah, when I when I they mentioned that he was getting bigger, and then he even says something about Jormungandr being different or something at the end. And I was like, oh, snap, is that the snake? Like, is it the same one? That's what my assumption was. And I'm yeah. assuming you came to the same conclusion. But I well, thought that it, was great. The game does, t- it tells you that. So essentially what happens is okay. Kratos and Freya and Mimir, um, which I, and we can get to that in a sec. I, so well, I liked that they give you Freya because they introduce her to you halfway through the game. And then she is the logical conclusion to be your partner as you journey. So it does fit yeah. nicely. I really felt like that was a good, nice touch. Uh, and they didn't force Kratos and Freya to become lovers or partners in any weird sense. I like that as well. Like that's, you know, um, at least not that I saw. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, if he's not in Egypt. Um, but yeah. So essentially they say that like, Jormungandr in Thor, Jormungandr disappears. And in the final battle, Thor hits him real good and he just disappears. And it's like, whoa, where, you know, what, what just happened? And when that happened in that moment, I thought for sure, I was like, oh, he just went back in time. Cause that's something they alluded to. I was like, that's definitely what just happened. Because as far as I know, Jormungandr can't just transport like that. So, um, Jotunheim's out of time and it means that the they they say to you that the battle between Thor and Jormungandr felt personal, like for whatever reason. And Thor kills all the giant giants, so Jormungandr has a grudge against Thor. And Jormungandr has the soul of the giant that Loki put it into him. And Mimir says, "Well, that's definitely what happened." And also, he probably doesn't even remember who he used to be, so he doesn't even know that he's mm. got the soul of a giant. He just is the snake. Yeah, and we know that's possible because you know Garm gets the soul of Fenrir and turns into Fenrir. So you you know right that's that's part of it. Um, which I loved. That was I so loved great. that too. I thought that was great. I was like, oh, that's fantastic. The Hellhound, you know, he's massive and all this different stuff. I thought that was great. And Jotunheim being out of time makes a lot of sense. Uh, out of sync. That's how their prophecies work and all this different stuff. And so yeah. that's essentially, they do handhold you a little bit and they tell you because there's two actually dialogue sequences. There's one when they notice that Jormungandr gets hit back into time. And they're like, oh man, that's a little crazy. I, I wonder, what you know, why Jormungandr said uh, Atreus looked familiar. And then there's another dialogue point that follows right after, and they essentially just confirm that. I was like, no, you didn't have to hold my hand. It was fine when it was vague. I understood. I liked that. I figured it out without you telling me. Um, but this game does hold your hand a little bit. There have been complaints, I don't know if you would say so, where your side character, either Atreus or Freya, solves your puzzle for you before you do. Have you? Did you have that problem? Um, I... I do feel like that happened a few times, but usually it happened when I needed the help. So I was okay with it. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple Personally. puzzles I couldn't figure out that they didn't help me on. And then a couple I couldn't figure out and they did help me on. 
It was about half and half. Well, I thought that was fine. Like, it, it just seems like a normal, like, hey, you're stuck. Oh, let's look in this direction, obviously. And especially in, like, a 3D-type world, especially one that's as detailed as this one, it's very easy to miss things from time to time. So, personally, yeah. I was okay with that. I don't know if that bothered you, but it didn't seem like a particular gameplay issue to me. It bothered me just a little bit. It Whenever it came too soon, it bothered me. Um, that, that was all, really. Um, other than that, it was fine. Oh, one thing about story I forgot to mention that I didn't like was the way they portrayed Surtur. I did not care for that. Um, that seemed really, really flippant for how Ragnarok was going to go down. Um, Kratos saying, this feels too easy, and then fighting two Valkyries that their health went down simultaneously, so you're really only fighting one. That felt oddly um, lower tier for what you were trying to do. Like, I, I think I preferred Surtur from the Marvel universe, which is essentially it this didn't guy. Seem... Sorry, go continue on. Uh, this guy who like stomps through Asgard and like shoves his sword so deep into it that it just implodes, which is really I, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was really cool. This game, however, well, for one, Surtur seems like, yeah, he has the heart of his mistress and she has his heart and, you know, that's great. And they're the primordial realms. That's fine. But it just felt like it was too easy to convince him to do this thing. It's just odd. Um, I think, I don't know. I just, the way that they wrote that character was just a little odd to me. I don't know if you found that unsatisfying um yeah no i think that the convenience of it by the end there's a few things where it's like oh that's a little convenient right and i think that was definitely one of them and they even say like oh he's not like fully formed like what's he going to be able to do and it had like no effect on what actually happened yeah yeah he was still able to accomplish his task and yeah uh, i don't i don't know it just didn't seem necessary to even try to explain it away that way like why didn't they just have them join together and I get like his hesitancy and maybe you want to play that up on some level or another, but it seems rushed and half baked to me. So I would agree with that. Yeah. The, the blades of chaos uh, absorbing the primordial fire felt too convenient. I think you're right. And, and there was no like talk of destiny. He was kind of just like, all right, you want to be a monster? Oh, no biggie. Right. Where where is the sense of sacredness and urgency? This is the end of Asgard. Um, You know, like this is a big deal. And then Odin sending two Valkyries to fight the boys. Like, I really would have preferred a preview Odin fight just a little bit instead. Ooh. I just felt like it would have been more because this is a bigger deal. Like Odin knows that for sure. And and then instead, he he finally says, "You may have your." ragnarok creature but it will not stop i am ready for him and then then you go from there but that's all there's just a couple things that i would have changed narratively in terms of like what happens and then you know what follows and stuff like that Hmm. well i think that makes perfect sense and i agree the story is great it really is it really is i feel like we we harp on it quite a bit because some of the details were lacking but it's still really great and how it plays out only because the dynamics between the characters its predecessor was so good at having a cohesive story that I think we're being For a little sure. hard on it. Speaking of sure. its predecessor, did you prefer the combat in the first game or the second game? Because personally, I preferred the first game, but you tell me. 
Man, really, I loved the combat in this one. I felt like it was faster. I felt like the uh, enemy variety was better. I felt like the um, the addition of like shield breaking and um, jumping off of things and throwing people into the air, and then of course the addition of the spear, which was a very fine addition in my opinion. Um, I felt like it definitely held its own against the Blades of Chaos and the Axe, which is hard to do. Um, the axe is so hefty and the blades of chaos are so iconic and so fast that the spear is like this interesting in between, um, lighter than the blades. So you're moving a little bit faster, but also like don't hit as heavy because of that. So you have to take some distance and you have to kind of practice, on um, you know, the different, um, combos and stuff you can pull off with it. So to me, this game's the better combat. I don't know if there was anything in particular that I was missing from the first one, other than there was a few additions in skills as far as like melee, excuse me, not melee, ranged combat was concerned that was missing from this, um, particularly with the axe that I noticed. But otherwise, I felt like this was everything you wanted God of War's sequel to have. New weapon crazy amounts of enemy variety in the first game you fight a troll like every 30 minutes it seems like yeah right (laughs) like there's all kinds of trolls in this one it's like all kinds of different enemy types um the quote-unquote valkyrie killing that you do at the end of the first one is replaced with champions and all the champion fights are different and unique which i really like um which i guess the valkyries were too but this is a little bit more unique in my opinion and um as a whole, I would just say it's immensely satisfying, which maybe the first one was too, but I found this one to be uh, a much more satisfying just whole system implemented here. I think it's a little bit faster. I think they give you more um, context help. So jumping up onto ledges or grabbing like a flaming uh, stone on the ground and chucking that, um, showing off like the different indicators around your waist worked pretty well in this game i felt like on a level i guess the first one did too but i i just think it was i think it was better in my opinion um seemed a lot more fluid and fast so what did you see in the first one that you would disagree with that opinion on well i feel like just the combat in the first game just to me was just more enjoyable i don't know what it was i I just got into more of a flow state in the first game than this game um i really can't pinpoint the specific mechanics that made me feel that way other than my light and heavy runic attacks in the first game were more satisfying so viscerally Mm -hmm. like in an fx from a sound effects perspective they were more satisfying um as well as atreus's um runic attacks and the fighting but I do know what's miss. I enjoyed the troll fights. I really loved those. So I, I kind of miss sure. those a little bit. I haven't done the slumber thing yet, so I still haven't scratched that itch in the second game, the slumber stone or whatever. Um, that shows up, I for me, at least a little later, unless I missed it somewhere. Um, and I did prefer the Valkyries, especially that final Valkyrie, Sigrun, as well as the Valkyrie mm. up top, Muspelheim. Um, the Valkyrie fights were so beautiful they were just dramatic in the music escalating as you tore their wings off like that i just missed that sacredness 
Uh, and then they were so grateful. It's just the love of battle and the love of the fight. And then thank you for releasing me. All of them just unending gratitude for beating the anger out of them. They're, they're, they're just, there's nothing there that has this weight. Instead, the, the champions of this time, you're just crushing cruelty, which is, you know, enjoyable. They're different. There's a limited arena. Um, I find them to be kind of spammy a little bit. Um, that, and, I can see that. But the, but the parry system, and I felt like I used my shield a lot more in this game uh, to a lot greater effect. That was nice. Um, and yeah, I it just there's something, I know it's more varied and there's more richness to the second game, but something about the flow state that I achieved in the first game was just more satisfying when I finally beat a hard boss. Um, that's just my personal takeaway. Um, I'm not really playing this game for difficulty, so I'm not looking to get into the technical aspects. I liked the armor in the first game better. It seemed like I understood more of what power-ups and level-ups were doing. There was a lot more complexity in this game in terms of like, you know, Alfheim's honor and uh, Asgard's uh, virtue or, you know, the little jewels you can Mm -hmm. put. Um, Those were whatever else. I I didn't really notice the extra effects that they put in there being put to good use. And I didn't like how the spear felt in my hand. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I don't hate Mm. it. But like, other than using it because I had to break down a, a, sh- a shield like a, a magic barrier that someone put up for their character like odin in the final boss battle that when he gets that gray shield on his health bar that's a spear that's when he uses the spear etc right right but other than the runic attacks with the spear the heavy and light i really put it away and tried to use either the blades or the axe most of the time um so just a personal preference i don't think there's anything wrong with the second game i just missed the first game's combat and i don't really know why also too i don't know if you noticed this in general did you feel like the first game like flowed better on screen? Or am I crazy? Um, I think this one is just as good. I do. You you mean like in the combat specifically or just all just told like the whole thing? The way it looked like on the screen, like I I don't even know how to it just looked more airbrushed and smooth in the first game. I don't really even know how hmm. to describe what I'm seeing. It, it might just be quality, like the frame rate that I chose or something. Maybe I chose wrong at the start of the game. But it just feels like the first game, despite having less... Like, Kratos' face has many more lines and, and layers to it in the second game. Obviously, graphics, it's an improvement. But the first game, for whatever reason, felt smoother. And I don't know where I'm getting that impression from. I'm just all off on my vibes today. I wonder if it's just a first impressions type thing where you experienced it for the first time in the first game. So now in the second, you just don't notice it or take it for granted even. I don't know that it's novelty bias. I I just want to say it's something about the way that the, the HD resolution feels different. Like in the first game, I don't know what it is. I really don't. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. What did you think of the boss fights in this game? So the boss fights were, just as good as the first game, um, if not a little better. Um, the Odin fight was epic. That was great. Love that. Um, uh, the Thor fight, epic, super epic again. But I still, if I had to choose boss fights, I would still choose the Valkyries of the first game over any boss fight in both games. That's just my personal preference. Okay. Uh, those were the penalties. The Valkyries are hard to beat they, they definitely didn't have something like that going into this game for sure just masterful it. just in really any video game i've ever played the valkyries are such a consistently joyous occasion uh to fight against so yeah i don't know i don't know um i would say um 
I do miss the trolls a little bit. The the but, but the berserkers <laughs> are fun, and and the drekkies are fun. The dragons are fun. Um, so no, I, it was good. I didn't really quite notice a significant improvement. Uh, just different and like the natural next evolution of what we would expect to see as, you know, as opposed to Magni and Modi versus Thor, et cetera, and Balder and all that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I felt it was a natural evolution, but nothing really blew me away, I suppose. And I think that's probably where I get into trouble with my novelty bias in the first game, having a, a more special place in my heart than this game. But, um, but did you, but you asked that question, did you have one in mind that just blew you away? I loved the boss fights in this game. I feel like they took a lot of the creature fights to the next level. We didn't even talk about like the the Loki reveal about him being able to turn into animals and how they yeah. handled that at the start with the bear. I thought that was a great way of explaining that. A, yeah, a big surprise cool. to me too. Yeah. Um, and that fight against the bear was like, oh, snap. Like at the time, uh, you hadn't quite gotten to some of the larger creatures you get to later. So it was the biggest thing you'd fought thus far. And um i thought they handled it really well and then the surprise that it was loki so like they they did a lot there that was fun but in general i thought they delivered on the spectacle much better than the first game yeah um you have the need hog that you go and kill uh you have garm that you try to kill twice um you have the um <clears throat> the dragons that you can fight as well uh mm-hmm. you face the giant grandma and her like bucket of whatever it was that she was holding. I don't remember exactly what it was like super something. Um, and all of those, I felt like delivered on scale much better than the first game did. Yeah. And even so I wished for more, like I said before, I wish there was a little bit more like God fights. Like you get Thor and Heimdall. And then I guess you get Odin at the end. That's about it. I wanted more, like, I, I just wanted, because it's the end of this particular Pantheon too, which I think is pretty obvious. I don't know if you would agree with that, but I'm pretty sure just even how on how it ended, like, they're going to move on from this to something else. Yeah. Um, if they do God of War again, which I'm sure they will, because it does gangbusters for them. But I wanted more God fights. Like, I just wanted to, I don't know, fight Sif or... Uh, fight i'm trying to think of other marvel <laughs> thor characters you could fight because uh, quite frankly i pull a lot from that as well yeah. um i don't know i just felt like there could have been more in the god territory and i guess there aren't too many gods to pull from but i wanted a god of war 3 ending where i'm killing poseidon and hades and um hephaestus and uh uh, what's the god of the sun? I don't know why his name. Helios. Is. Helios. You got Hercules. Yeah, Helios. There, yeah. And like, I wanted more of that. Sure. I just wanted more of that, and they didn't deliver on that, which is fine. They gave you more major creature, massive creature fights, which is fine. That's true. But I think I enjoyed the battles more in this one than in the first one. So boss fights a plus for me. Yeah, Jormungandr swallowing the world is the next big thing that could happen i think in terms of norse mythology um if you wanted to stay within the pantheon and work with loki from a distance i suppose that could be something you could do um i'm with you it does seem clear that this could be it could be a stopping point right here this could be great um or they could go on with it and make something up because i mean they're already twisting the details a little bit here and there with different characters so it's it's certainly doable um the heimdall fight we alluded to it we didn't really get to it why did you i want to know why you speaking of boss fights why didn't you feel like that was the most satisfying 
Um, it just didn't deliver on the the spectacle side of things. I I think the actual fight itself was fun and technical enough, and I wanted to see. And I think I said this already, but I wanted to see Heimdall's powers a little more. Yeah, where maybe in a couple of cinematic moments, like he really gets the jump on Kratos, and like gets close to killing him or even something close to that, which didn't happen. Um, and then. I wanted to see how Kratos overcame that a little better, which obviously he did with his spear. I don't know if you actually fought him with your spear the whole time because you didn't have to, um, but I did just to fit with the thematic. That's what I of did it. too. Yeah. Okay, and that makes perfect sense. And I do think it gives you a slight advantage, but to me, I felt like they could have implemented because you go on this whole quest to go and like put the spear together like i wanted to see that a little bit more and like how it was playing a factor in the fight itself and you just didn't as much as i would have wanted anyway and then when he turns and like says like no you're not gonna walk away like you're not gonna let me live through this um i wanted it to just like go to a next level in scale yeah like whether that's like him and it like, you saw that with Baldir, you saw that with Thor, where, like, one of them grabs Kratos and just, like, throws him or, like, takes him off somewhere else, Yes, you know? yeah. And I wanted that to happen. I wanted them to be, like, soaring through the sky and fighting. Like, I wanted more god-level stuff, and I didn't get any of that, so. Yeah. He's still fine. I and don't know. I was know... glad to kill him, but. I don't know how you... The description of, like, we have to overwhelm his senses. I, I really wanted to see Heimdall turn into a pincushion. You know, I was feeling yeah. some, something along the lines of, like, you know, the spear, you know, going putting the spear through his arm into the wall and then exploding it was fantastic. But I, I felt like, the, and that makes a lot of sense in terms of beating Heimdall, is, like, he needs to be able to, like, even if he has the gift of foresight and he like looks into your eyes and he's making eye contact with you and he's watching where you're looking next, you can't fight blind. So what you need to do is time your weapon, at least how I understand Heimdall's powers, is as long as he's got his eyes open, you're good. So if you're detonating your spear to overwhelm his senses, create some environmental damage, maybe some smoke or, or something else, and then you're you're launching the spear near him and detonating it so you have an opening to beat him senseless, like to me... I didn't get enough of that. The way that he was beaten right. didn't make sense. It was like, right. I feel like he could have avoided that. Like he's walking around, he's, he's, you know, he can catch the spear in his hand, sure, but then I'm going to detonate it. And that's, you know, that, that's when he gets stunned and then I, I beat him up. But you didn't, you don't draw blood until like, I don't even know when it was. It's like halfway through or something like that. It was just a little odd yeah. the way it was done. So I'm with you there. I felt like the Heimdall fight was so hyped up, like you can't beat him. No one's even ever touched him. And then, you know, it was just a big deal. The way his voice actor portrayed him getting beaten, though, in the pity and the arrogance, I liked that. That was good. Yeah. But, but yeah, I'm with you. The spectacle definitely wasn't there. I think we're in agreement there. He just, he beat him in a normal way. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. he was built up as, like, a not normal god, you know? So, like, I just wanted him to do something different. Like, and I just keep going back to this, but the original games did such a good job with this. In God of War 3, like, you have to kill every single one of those gods in unique ways. Like, for Hades, you literally take his soul. Yeah. Um, for Poseidon at the start of the game, like, you're flying through the air and you have to find a way into his water formation to try to kill him. Um, and with 
um, Hermes, you have to chase him down. Like, you have to, like, consistently, right. it's like tortoise in the hair style. Like, you're, yeah. you're following him slowly, but surely getting closer. And, like, little things like that, I just wanted it to be like, oh, here's the god, here's their ability, here's how Kratos gets around that. But instead, it's just punch, punch, smack, smack, okay, now I win. Like, right. it's it's fine, but it just wasn't what I wanted. Yeah, now I'm with you. So... All told, all right, we've talked about combat. I think we've talked about presentation pretty well. I mean, we could throw music in there, but I think the music does a great job of uh, accenting everything as it's supposed to. I don't know if I had any particular moment in music that I thought was bad or good, other than there was a couple times where, like, I think, like you said, like, the music was given, like, main character epicness when it didn't yeah, have to. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, that kind of thing. Um, but otherwise, I'd say design-wise, nigh flawless. I mean, that's what the first game was like, so you'd expect that with this one. Um, the cinematics, nigh flawless. The story itself, great, despite some of the details not pairing together well. Uh, the world design is great. I like, this was something I was hoping to get to, we didn't quite touch on, but I like that the worlds themselves are a little more linear and not as open-worldy. Like, they're, they're main hubs, and you can run around from point A to point B, and you do that a lot more with the side questing, for sure. But it's not like... In the first game, it had the big Midgard hub of the yep. lake. Yep. And then you would have offshoots going in a bunch of different directions. Whereas now, it's just little hubs that you go to, and you accomplish whatever tasks you need to do. And they feel purposeful because of that. Yes. Without being overwhelming yes. and waste wasteful, either. Yes. Um, so that would be something I throw in there. Otherwise, if you have any other final notes, Jared, we'll jump to them. But I think we're ready to ask the final question. What do you say? Just two. Just two notes. Freyr didn't have to die. I don't understand what he was doing at the very end, like when he was holding his sword. It seemed like he was just like rotating his sword in circles next to Surtur's sword. But like he wasn't actually stopping anything. I don't know if... It wasn't clear that he died either. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wait, 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 wait. What? I just had Loki, and then Kratos is yelling Atreus in this whiteout screen that looked really weird. Right. And I, I was like, whoa, what's going on here? He kind of disoriented me a little bit in terms of, like, why did he have to die? That didn't make any sense. It seemed very unnecessary. And then, yeah, so that didn't make sense. Um, the other thing, shoot, I lost my other thing that I was going to say. Hate it when that happens. I don't remember what it was. Were you bummed that Kratos didn't die at the end? No, actually, what I was predicting. So as soon as Loki learned how to put souls into stones, I thought he mm. was gonna. I was. I thought he was gonna. Kratos was gonna get stabbed or something crazy. Loki was gonna hold him in his lap, like shown in the prophecy, and then take his soul and put it into a stone, and save it for later. Yeah. And then kind of bring his dad back to surprise Odin. Like, that's how I thought it was going to go down. And to be frank, I kind of really like that idea. I like the fact yeah, that, me like, too, actually. I like that maybe Kratos could have, like, trusted his son. That would have been the ultimate. Sorry, I'm banging on my desk. That would have been the ultimate description of trust <laughs> between father and son. He's like, Dad, you got to trust me. I'm going to put you into this marble. And and that would be, like, this excellent use of Kratos' inability to let things go and to not be in control all the time. But instead, they kind of just forced this trust on him. And so I, I really liked that idea. I was kind of in love with it because I, I – and then it fell apart. Um, that sounds great to me. I know, right? Uh, I have ideas. Um, but the 
but that's what I thought was going to happen because I felt like it was obvious. Like they were leading up to Kratos laying in his lap and then his ability to put souls into the the ball, the marbles there. I was like, that just makes a lot of sense, but but it didn't happen. That's okay. Um, no, there was something else that I was going to say that I didn't care for. Freyr didn't have to die, but there was something else I was going to mention. I don't remember what it was, but it's infuriating. Try to think about it. I would have said as well that Kratos. I was a little disappointed he didn't die. Honestly, where Freyr died, he should like you could have swapped him out. Sure, and it would have been yeah. It would have like, been so epic Kratos, to have like, Kratos holding Loki the sword the... up with his like two blades of chaos, just like fighting back Surtur, yeah. which is like that god strength that he has. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then he like he. I think he does throw Atreus, but if he had like done it and it was obvious that he didn't make it through or something. And then you could even add the whole soul stuff after. Like, I don't know. Like, there's a way to do it without fully killing him off. And they didn't even try anything. Like, they just, they had the whole prophecy the whole time. And then I don't think really anyone got super close to killing him. Or there was never a moment of where you thought he might die. And I was just like, yeah. Like, when did they break off prophecy? And we got, we had that question already. Like, when did they get away from prophecy and everything? And it just wasn't super clear. But, oh, well. Were you able to think of your last thought? Because otherwise, we're jumping in here to the end here, Jared. No, I can't think of it. I don't know what it was. I, I just feel like in, in terms of the <clears throat> like the music in Forbidden West stood out a lot, um, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. For this game, it seemed really perfect, other than that one moment where Bergier jumps off the flying boat and dis- like attacks the dragons. That just felt too big for what was going on because I didn't care about him. But... Um, no, I can't remember what I, my thought was going to be. I, it was, it's fine. I don't, I don't remember. What did you think of the side quests? Side quests were good. They were, they were impactful. I cared. I cared about side quests more than I did in Forbidden West. Um, sure. And obviously, they're more cl- clarifying than any side quest in like a From Software game or anything like that. So, um, no, I like the side quests. Side quests in God of War, both in the first game and the second game. The the second game could y- make use of the fact that Kratos is very close-minded to things in the first game. In the second game, he does things to be nice. Like, he, he, he helps unite spirits with their long-lost relatives or something like that. He does that regularly. Uh, I felt, you know, it, they take advantage of his open-mindedness to do that, and I thought that was a natural progression of his character, um, for okay. sure. That was nice. Good. Yeah, I like the side quests in this game, too. I thought they were all very well done. So I'd throw that in there as well. Okay, then should this game be in the Hall of Games? It is a 2022 candidate for Game of the Year. So what would you say, Jared? Well, well, yes, just because uh, you can't have part one without part two. You can't have... um, and you're exactly right. I think describing God of War and then describing God of War Ragnarok as a part one, excuse me, as a part one and a part two um, is the right way to look at these things. Um, so that's that's for sure. I think it should go in there because it was great, um, great uh, evolution of traversal for one thing, of traversal within mm-hmm. the game, uh, an additional layer of complexity to combat and to movement. Um, even more in depth in each of these side characters, some not enough, some maybe too much, some whatever else here and there, however you may think about it. But I thought that was great. The scale got bigger and more epic. They improved in many different ways. They kept all of the same elements that made the first game successful and built on them. Nothing is missing. 
uh, other than a preference, like in my case, a preference for Valkyries over champions and stuff like that, nothing is missing um, from the game. It's just an excellent continuation, lots of Im- impactful emotional moments, different from the first in a good way. I really feel like the studio can be very proud of this game in many different ways. Voice acting is obviously so, so good. Dude, the people who voice Mimir, the people who voice, you know, Mimir, Freya, uh, Kratos, Atreus and uh, Brock specifically are just so good legends, dude. They are legends. Yes. Um, and and to be frank, each one of those individuals has more talent in their single job than the entirety of For- uh, Forbidden West. Personally, um, and mm. I'm, I don't mean that to slam them, but just it's so Got above em. par um, that that's what I feel about it. So in in many many ways, this game is. Excellent. I would, if I had to give it a score, I would give God of War 2018, you know, a fantastic score, obviously. And I would put this game just slightly below, maybe a point below, just because okay. I have to incorporate my preference into things. Um, and again, we talked about the cohesiveness of the first game and, and yada yada. But both games are so tremendous that they're obviously AAA titles. They obviously they need to be played. Both of them, they are cinematic masterpieces yes. for sure. I I would definitely say it needs to go into the Hall of Games. And uh, I say that with a note that we need to find more games that are not AAA. <laughs> We've been batting a thousand too too much lately. <laughs> I think we need Inside to add turn. we need Inside. to add some more controversial games. I think. But anyway, obviously, I don't know if you agree with me. You you kind of alluded to the fact that you know people may be surprised. Um, what was that supposed to mean? Yeah, well, um, the question becomes then, is this one one that outweighs the other God of War that's in our Hall of Games, which is the 2018 one? Um, And I would agree with you in that, yes, it does need to go into the Hall of Games, but it does have that factor of, like, this is really a continuation. It's a delivery Mm. on the promise that the first one had. And because of that, you almost have to keep them together. Um, The first one had so much setup, but it was very much setting up for a sequel and it's sequel now has delivered on that. Good for them. Killed it. Uh, delivered on the story, delivered on extra spectacle, uh, delivered on the technical side of things. All of that has come together, but you can't tell me that you could play this game on its own. Um, or that the first one is less important Mm. or that this one's better than the first one. I would say that they, are very much intertwined, and you could make the argument that the first one is better, which you even said even in your quick review summary, that this one may be a, a, a point less, just ever so slightly less. Yeah. That being said, I personally would make the first game probably like a 9.8 out of 10, and this also would be a 9.8 or like a 9.7 out of 10. Like, it's right there. They are so good. And it's everything, honestly, that I wanted in the first one, but delivered in the second. And so, together, as a package whole, God of War and God of War Ragnarok, I think both are in the Hall of Games, similar to how Portal 1 and Portal 2 are. But we knocked those both out in one episode. So, it's a little bit different in that. Um, and not every sequel is like that, but God of War set itself up that way, and Ragnarok delivers, and that one-two punch is all you could ever want in cinematic storytelling in video games. It's a drop-dead, bombastic, triple-A, summer popcorn flick, everything that you want from it, plus the great combat, plus the great lore. It's it's fantastic. 
on so many fronts and it's beautiful to boot i mean you're just your jaw is dropping left and right and because of that ragnarok for sure makes it into the hall of games but without the first one this one wouldn't have any any anywhere to even go obviously yes uh one is not without the other so very important to point that out as well i would if i could add to your point here i would say that play this game on story mode personally to get the most out of it. That's what I think. It's a cinematic masterpiece, but there's also a reason that God of War Ragnarok has the God of War recap option right in the main menu. You need Which the Which is first a garbage one. recap, personally. Yeah. I feel like it was very poorly done. But yeah, anyway. it's not the best. Um, it misses all the heart and emotion. And and to be frank, you need you need all the heart and emotion you need those callbacks to the past to make the emotional impact that these stories. But if we were to pull God of War from the Hall of Games, Ragnarok also has to come out. They are a one-two punch. You're exactly right. They are a twofer. They are a package deal. Um, I'm in complete agreement with you there. But but as far as sequels go, Josh, the world has had enough of crappy sequels. This does <laughs> is nothing to sneeze at. Is a fantastic runner-up. It's an incredible sequel on par, equal with its first one, uh, with its predecessor, and uh, continuing the tradition of greatness from Santa Monica Studios. There you go. All right. Kachunk, God of War Ragnarok is in our Hall of Games. Well deserved. Well deserved. Both very great games. Top tier gaming you can have with these. So play them enjoy them make sure you play the first before you jump into the second it does really add that much to it yeah um last question here jared do you feel compelled to go and finish this game out see all of its side content uh i've the 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 trick with games like this is that you need to do so once you get the spear i would really go do as much side content as your little heart desires and then and then finish the main storyline or or i would ignore every bit of uh, every bit of side content i would go and um i would go and get the spear finish the main storyline and then go do all of it that's what i would do i would wait because i think i did too much too soon and then i got the spear sure. and unlocked a bunch of stuff and was frustrated that i had to go back over every inch of the world because there are right. new unlocks with the spear. That frustrated me just a little bit. So I think to connect with Freya and Mimir, go play through the full story all the way through on easy mode, because that's the most enjoyable mode, personally, in my opinion, and then go do all of the side content, which is worth getting to, but you're going to extend okay. the life of your video game that you paid $69.99 for, and you're going to make it more worthwhile if you do it that way, in my opinion. That's just my two cents. No, I think that's great. I'm so bummed you don't like the spear. I love the spear. It's I not that it was... I don't like it. I just don't. It's just not my preference. But it does not make sense because yeah. he's a Spartan, right? So, like, they had spears right. and shields. So it fits. It's such a good choice. And it works on, like, just adding a whole other, like, unique way to to fight. Like, you're you're able to throw them. They infinitely appear, which is a part of like the lore behind the ring that they're made out of, which I thought was cool. Yes. Um, so you can just like check them, check them, check them. But it works really well, especially in the dragon fights. I don't know if you've used it in the dragon fights, but yeah, like, you can just spear the dragons out of the sky yep. or you can stick them with spears before they go up 
and then you can blow them up while they're up there and it always works effectively so like it, yeah. there's a lot of like a little more nuance to them that i liked yeah so. it's a full-fledged but weapon you're right i think yeah they use it in traversal and a bunch of different ways it's it's for sure right. a great addition it just wasn't my personal favorite I got you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no. And then using it for traversal, going and seeing all the extra stuff, I think is is the way to do it for sure. Um, I played this game, just putting it out there. I played this on the hard mode and I got through the whole main story that way. I did find a lot of the um, side content to be very difficult because of the hard mode. So I once I finished the game and saw credits, I dropped it down to normal, um, which is right above story. And that seems to have helped me like get through champions and get through uh, like uh, how walkers and stuff without wanting to kill myself every single time that I'm fighting. Right. Them. Right. So that's been good. Um, oh, we didn't mention the, in, the inclusion of new enemies, like the little boys that like sing and protect. So annoying. Their... Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. Knockins. <laughs> yeah. Annoying. So annoying, dude. Yeah, but also, like, an interesting layer to what's going on. Like, I appreciate that they were able to find a lot of new things like that, even in the enemy variety to, like... I, I loved the... Uh, the I'm going to mess up their name. The Inharyar. Inharyar, yeah. It. Yes, I loved them. I loved the, the idea too. of the Bifrost yep. and uh, how that added an extra layer of, like, oh, I got hit once, now I really have to make sure I don't get hit again. Like, little things like that in the combat, so great. Just want to put those out there as well. Forgot to mention those. But anyway, um, this game is in the Hall of Games. Play it. It's fun. We've said that enough already. Um, so be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. I'm just going to wrap us up here. Uh, drop us a five-star review. Check out our past episodes for more backlog in-depth conversations. We talked about the goaties of this year, other than, I guess, some of the ones that obviously aren't going to win it, but we got Horizon Forbidden West. We've got now God of War Ragnarok. We've talked about Elden Ring and two major episodes. Go and check those out. Great conversations all told. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you agree with our decision, and if you don't, Tell us why. Until then, Lore King Jared, could you leave us with a final thought for this episode? <sighs> Stay stoic. Keep your head on your shoulders. Close your heart to it. Keep trucking along. Love it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right, guys. You have a good one.